This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Good everything, Nubians. Hi, everyone. Hello, Dr. Carr. Good everything, Professor. How are you? I'm good. I went for my morning walk, right? And um, because it was raining, storming, and and prayers to everyone who's suffering through a hurricane that's making its way up the the eastern, southern seaboard. Um, You know, be safe, everyone. But the weather, uh, so I walk out my door and I was like, uh, it's hot. Okay. So I'm walking though, but I see this sister with a full limp down coat Ugg boots, scarf, hat, mittens. And I was like, I was thinking about the metaphor because it's mid-November in New Jersey. It should be a little brisk and chilly. So she's preparing for weather that it should be, not the weather that it is. And I wonder how many of us are living in a life where we're prepared for what should be instead of living in what is. And I was like, this is interesting. You know, and I get it. You know, the habit will tell you this is the time where you put on your goose down and your Uggs boots and your hats and your mittens and everything because it's getting brisk. But if it's 75, almost 80 degrees, you aren't prepared for what is actually here. So I was just smiling about that. And as Black people, we tend to prepare for what is because we just used to like Pavlov's dogs, you know. But it's a new day, as my friend Diana Ross says. It's a new day. A new day. Yes. So, so let's, let's live in what is. Wow. It's kind of tough. Like you say, wearing all that out of fear for tomorrow and habit from yesterday. How do we stay in the now? Just be in it. Uh, what did our friend Octavia Butler tell us? Change is everything, right? Change is, right. is, change is God. Yes, yeah, change is God. That's so. right. Change, change, shape God, shape change. And uh, we have lived through several decades in the last seven days, haven't we? <laughs> well, well, it hasn't been the last seven days. We've seen each other between Saturdays, as we know. I mean, yes, shout out have. to everybody. Oh, man, I left my, uh, one of the uh, Nubians brought to the, um, to Lord have mercy. I started calling it another thing. But, DC Winery? Yeah, DC Winery? DC Winery, because we talked about it, obviously, in the refuge uh, known as Nubia, and we're all in here right now. I'm cracking up. Today's uh, Financial Times has this long article on Twitter, and I mean, yeah, it's fun. It's fun in games when somebody makes up a fake uh, Pepsi account and says Coke is better. It's not as fun when you put the pharmaceutical company out there and say insulin is free, and then Bernie Sanders treats that when they reach, they say, "Oh no, this I'm sorry, we're going to be more responsible. Sorry, this is not our fault." And then Bernie Sanders tweeted and said. Yeah, Lily, Eli, Lily, you do know that the people who created insulin gave away the patent for a dollar, so it would be free. So, uh, frankly, I'm loving the Wild West, but of course, we have Nubia. So, uh, we you know, don't... Uh, you know, somebody say, I'm, I'm not going going down with the ship. We ain't on the ship. We hovering above the ship, watching it, and I'm watching it because it is an absolute ish storm and a dumpster fire, and I'm enjoying the hell out of it because this is what happens when you think you're smart. No question. This is what happens when you think you're smarter than everybody else, when you think you know more than everyone else. This is why I love sitting with you because I come in here absolutely knowing I know nothing. And I'm like, teach me, teach me, Dr. Carr, what are we going to learn today? I'm just excited. Today, we're going to learn from a whole lot of people, but we learn. Look at this, Ron versus Don. I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, yeah, I'm cracking up because, I mean, here, Meta laying off employees, 
people refusing to go back to work. There's a long article in today's Financial Times weekend about people in San Francisco saying anybody going into office now to work all the time is somebody who just likes being in the damn office and a workaholic. We're not doing that. So, I mean, the world has changed. And of yeah, course, I mean, the data tells you people are not more efficient in the office. So then what's the purpose unless it's just to be an overseer? Yeah. If people are efficiently working from home, if, if it's an option, allow it to be that option. If people feel more comfortable not being around people, why would you force them into a traumatic situation where all you're doing anyway is talking about their hair, their dress, microaggressions, making people feel uncomfortable, making them go out with you after hours as if we like you. We don't like you. We just want to do our work. We get paid to do our work, not to socialize with you or to be your pet uh, lab experiments to ask us questions when things are going on in the world. Leave us the hell alone. Pay us our salary to do our job. And if we can do it from home better, what's the problem? I don't understand. Well, because like, it's what you said. I mean, but you know, that. I mean, like you say, you laid through that whole thing. This, 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 this world we live in, this capitalist world we live in is, is built on hierarchy. So the people who own all this stuff, and I'm assuming the person who said they're going to go down with the ship that was talking to you must be a stockholder. <laughs> because other than that, it's like when people are stingy with the French fries. When you go into Wendy's, and when I worked at Wendy's, we used to give big packets of fries to people. And then they say, thanks, thanks. And then we go in there. Sometimes we all ship somebody, give you uh, counting out the fries. I say, is your name Wendy? Damn, you don't look like a Wendy. Are you Dave? Are you Wendy's father? I mean, <laughs> so anyway, so anybody talking about Twitter loyalty, are you, you got stopped then. You're worried. But these people want to see your face in part because they want to exert control. So Elon Musk is imploding and it's just wonderful. <sighs> you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to close my account like you told us. I mean, you know, why not be here and just kind of see what the hell's happening? Because of course, this is the business cycle. You know better than I do. And so many folk in here know better than I do. I'm not a business What happened to, happen to Black Planet, Divine? Um, you know, things come and go. Change yeah. is constant. It's going to happen. Change is constant. And capitalism ain't going to let it go. But so far, I mean, he said, you know, Musk said, oh, I sold some Tesla stock. Okay. And I'm looking at Tesla's going up down the street at the same time. You know, he <laughs> mentioned bankruptcy. And I'm saying, yeah, because there are protections for people like this. So if you think Twitter's going away, you know, you watch too much reality television. This thing is not completely scripted, but there are guardrails. As Barack Obama, who bailed out the banks, and those of you who had a mortgage and took an L, you know, there are choices going to be made, and it's not going to be for you. That's why elections are important, in part because this is one out of a number of places where we can intervene in public policy. And if you don't think it's important, I mean, I've, in, there was an article in today's paper uh, about Lula da Silva wanting to expand. In fact, let me see here if I can find it quickly. Um, you know, Lula won the election in Brazil uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, Lula seeks constitutional change to fund campaign pledges because he ran. Well, let's just see. And by the way, Lula da Silva is 77. He's a couple of years older than the cat who is stumbling around right now. I think, you know, he's an Asian at a G20. Is met. He just left Egypt, just left uh, Sharm el-Sheikh, which when we go to Kemet, and by the way, that trip is almost full now. I mean, wow, we soared up near 100 in like the first week. And so now people coming from Africa, from Europe, I can't even describe because it's going to be, you know, we, we, we're thinking through it now. But um, uh, Sharm el-Sheikh is near the uh, Red Sea. That's a um, a resort town. That's where they're having the, uh, the climate. They have the climate summit. And Biden stopped through there on his way to the G20 because he got to deal with these Pacific nations who are turning away, the, the Asian countries. Uh, that's why um, Vice President Harris 
and uh, First Lady Jill Biden were over at Arlington National Cemetery yesterday for Veterans Day. Normally, the President of the United States would be there, but he's running around the world at 75. And Lula's two years older than him. And this is what it says. Lula Inacio, uh, I'm sorry, Luis Inacio, Lula da Silva, faces his first test less than two months before he takes office as Brazil's president. While on the stump, the left-wing veteran pledged to increase the minimum wage. By the way, in the United States, there were two uh, states that voted on uh, minimum wage increases. Um, minimum wage, minimum wage. Nebraska, Nebraska, citizens of Nebraska voted to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour on Tuesday. And uh, in Nevada, they actually raised the minimum wage to $12. But of course, a lot of um, Nevada's economy, particularly in Vegas, is based on tips and gratuities, that kind of thing. But still, raising up. And in the colony uh, in which I work, the District of Columbia, along with Puerto Rico and Guam and you know United States Virgin Islands and several other territories, colonies of the United States, where there is no voting representation. Congratulations, by the way, to Eleanor Holmes Norton, who has been serving in the United States Congress since 1991 without a vote. But uh, they also raised the floor on those of uh, us who wait tables in the District of Columbia. So if you are uh, out there busting your behind as you do every day, particularly on the weekends, and here we are holiday weekend, um, you now have a minimum wage that that also folds in what would be considered your tips, your tip. So they're going to raise your minimum wage floor. You still get tips. Now, y'all don't stop tipping people, but. In the District of Columbia, the citizens saw fit to raise that floor so that you won't have to rely on tips to scrape together your little money. I know a lot of students, including some of my students at Howard, who are very happy about that. But uh, Lula is going for uh, the full ball of wax. This is while on the stump, the left-wing veteran pledged to increase the minimum wage, create a new cash stipend for poor families with children under the age of six. That would be that child tax credit that if uh, Negroes in Milwaukee had come out a little bit more, you could have put Mandela Barnes in the Senate instead of that ghoulish white nationalist Ron Johnson, that death trap. And uh, if you had had a whole new way of thinking, you probably could have stuck Gary Chambers in there. And uh, of course, in Kentucky, Charles Booker and in North Carolina could have put uh, Judge Beasley in and you probably could have gotten that child tax credit expanded. In fact, you would have gotten the child, ch child tax credit expanded and extended and passed. Although, and it was, we'll talk about in a minute, um, and Professor, I, I'd be interested to hear you say back. I know y'all debriefed yesterday, and of course, you did the coverage uh, on election night with Larry and Eljoy. And, uh, you know, everybody's been working overtime. But I wonder, depending on what happens, and we'll talk about that in a minute in Nevada, which looks like it's going to return uh, its Democratic senator. Arizona's been called uh, rendering Georgia uh, nice and maybe necessary for some of the stuff I'm talking about now in terms of some of the policies that were, that were, um, blocked by the houseboat living senator from energy i'm sorry uh west virginia uh joe manchin and uh kristen cinema oh sweetheart you're gonna get primaried in a couple of years get your mind right get your you know designer glasses mind right because you about to be gone baby gone but at any rate uh what i was about to say is that if 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 some other decisions have been made like to vote probably could have gotten that quartet of black folk in, certainly Beasley, certainly Barnes. And, you know, Barnes made some tactical campaign errors. I mean, if you're not going to talk to black people, brother, this is kind of what happens. But anyway, come on in. I couldn't hear you. No, Sherry, Sherry Beasley didn't do it either. She right. had an opportunity to, That's I don't right. know who's running these campaigns, but who you, you think? Oh, you being nice. You, you and Roland Martin know it's white campaign advisors and consultants. They or, got black, or, or black faced 
uh, white people. Ooh. You know, I had a, a oh, come on now. <laughs> uh, so first of all, Biden will be 80 uh, in eight days. So oh, I I'm sorry. To- I, thought he was, I thought he was, he's two years older than Luda. He's yes. Like- yeah. He'll be 80 yeah. November 20th. Uh, yeah, that makes him a Scorpio. I don't know what that means. But anyway, uh, <laughs> shout out to Sam Reynolds. No, I mean, it's, we, it, somebody on my show, Don, Don Calloway dropped this that made me sit up uh, this week because he's asked about Stacey Abrams. He said, were the black political, you know, the, 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 intelligentsia, the folk that run Atlanta, were they behind her? Did they come out in full force? He asked the question and I thought about it and I was like, did we see them out? No, not like that. Oh, well, let me not say no, because I wasn't there and I'm sure yeah. they campaigned, but there's a class politics involved. Even yeah. If- so he was saying there's something else. Yeah. She's not an insider. She's not one of them. No. And it's no, interesting. No, she's not. She's not. And so you know, while we may on the outside love her for Atlanta and maybe there's something else going on and we don't know. So I was like, there's a lot of little undercurrent, you know, happenings and shenanigans among black people in politics too, you know, so. Let's do with that for a minute, Prof, because you interviewed a a great number of these folk and having a conversation with them and everybody in these, and by the way, you know, we know, obviously we're global. You know, we, we 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 are an extension of the global majority you've been building for quite some time. So those are the fans who are outside the United States who kind of follow this. We get a little granular, but we won't stay here. But, um, you know, when you talk to Malcolm Kenyatta out of Philly, that's a very different vibe. I mean, you know, John Fetterman need to kiss Malcolm Kenyatta and those black legislators feet because oh, have to because they're in the majority now. And Malcolm's going to be uh, in the middle. Come on now. Come on. We'll be here. <laughs> Yeah. Malcolm in the middle. Where he at? In the middle. In the middle. Yeah. <laughs> no, Malcolm, say Malcolm in the middle. And also, uh, I'll talk about it in a minute. Shout out to my former student uh, who graduated from Howard University School of Law. I had class where in 2014, she wrote her final paper on gentrification. That will be Summer Lee. Summer Lee coming to the United States Congress. <laughs> yes, from Western Pennsylvania after all them. Wait, and part five. That's your seat. You couldn't stop Summer. I could have told y'all about that. Wow. I, I, you know, the tentacles are, are vast and I, I'm loving it. I'm sitting loving here it. watching. Yeah. But the world is small. And these yeah. young people are not putting up with this. This is the no. beautiful thing. I mean, people saying vote, don't vote. And the young brother in uh in Florida who took Val Deming's seat, 25 years old, Gen Z, uh uh Afro, Afro, yeah. Latino, I mean Puerto Rican and Haitian, uh, adopted by a Cuban. Oh now. Yeah, uh, really, really. I'm looking forward to talking with him. I reached out to his campaign because that—that that is everything. Those that demographic, first of all, biggest bit baby boomers. That's right. And not having it, so uh, yeah, let's go. Let's That's go. right. And little Marco, little Marco, enjoy yourself, man. Enjoy yourself, little fella, because uh, you know they coming. Yeah, they coming. They coming. And and you you and that uh that pufferfish who's cosplaying like he a corn pone white nastus, uh, Desantis. You know, I know what y'all think is going to happen in 24, but we got it's 24 months that these, everybody coming, and it's not that we're all on the same page. But yeah, I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait to hear that conversation. But yeah, Summer um, Lee, who you know did a quick stop in the legislature in Pennsylvania state legislature before she, I mean, but she she's been like that since I've known her. It's been about you know she, um, you know, very concerned about the fact that this, that the town she grew up in was in, in Western Pennsylvania basically 
has collapsed around capital that is left manufacturing town you know but she's gonna fight like hell and they tried like hell to stop her apac pumped millions of dollars into that campaign but to the point you're raising i think this is the, the larger point whether it be summer lee in western pennsylvania or malcolm kenyatta in philly you know when you don't leave your community when you ground your politics in that governance formation when it comes time to intervene in this social structure, it like a like a state election or a local or a federal election, you people trust you. And so people are looking at Fetterman and Oz like they're watching reality television. And in the case of Oz, they were. But you know, at the same time, the people who are voting, you're not talking to them. I mean, you know, we we see again mass commercial news uh, media, entertainment media is worthless because you calling up people on the phone and white people and young people, you missed all of them, and now you saying red wave, red tsunami. Don't nobody listen to you. Don't nobody listen to y'all. And the people who might give you a little insight, you cutting their throats. So you know, you know, normally, and I'm tripping out how many people have told us both that you know they'll be in class with us and conversation with us, and here we are, the 140th Saturday. And then they'll turn on Tiffany Cross, but they can't turn on Tiffany Cross no more. And I don't know. I mean, clearly y'all got some kind of uh, rigged kind of wire and paper mache and some kind of wire probably to the jaw to make Andrea Mitchell's mouth continue to move. But <laughs> I know that no one, I mean, the Macy's spray is coming up. We might see the Andrea Mitchell balloon go down. I may go up there and see. So I can see, is that Andrea Mitchell? Anyway, but the point is that um nobody's watching and nobody cares. And if Mandela Barnes and Sherry Beasley you know, and I think this is a legitimate criticism. It may be a, a, an in-house criticism, but if you're listening to people who are still falling behind the DNC, another, you know, collapsing institution, and you think Black people are going to vote for you because you ran TV ads, and then after you lose, the same consultants that will be there win or lose count their millions and laugh. Oh, okay. No oh. question. <laughs> and, you know, and, and meanwhile, who takes the L? Not the consultants. They live in the suburbs of Charlotte. They don't live in Greensboro. Who takes the L is those kids who left A&T, left Bennett, or, or in Virginia, which, by the way, two of those three districts that these Republicans thought they were going to flip, Black people showed up. But I, shout out to my man and my frat brother, Makola uh, Abdullah, who's the president of Virginia State University. Virginia State declared Election Day a holiday. They closed the school. That's a state school. You're basically giving the middle finger to Glenn Youngkin. So you got to show some courage. You know what I'm saying? So shout out to Hampton and Virginia State and all of the school. And in North Carolina, all the HBCUs, you watch them marching to the polls. I love they did a second line from Southern. They did a second second line to the polls. Now, it couldn't get Gary Chambers because Negro's mind's not right. But if you're, if you're a Beasley campaign, if you are a Barnes campaign, the lesson you must learn is that you need to go back on election day or run TV ads. In fact, the lesson is Stop paying these consultants. Now that you lost, here's something that's maybe useful. And, and, and Ron said this other day in life. I've heard people say it since, but it's interesting. What do you think about this problem? Let me ask you. What if these statewide uh, folk who lost the elections, O'Rourke in Texas and the senatorial campaign candidates, even Abrams again, and maybe Abrams would serve as a in a different role. What if yeah. they and took over the apparatus, either it took the state parties in their states or maintain their 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 lists and and kind of form some kind of independent pact to try to intervene because in this 24 i mean what do you think about that as a problem I, I, I love every opportunity we have to foment power in this country and unity is every yeah i mean it's it and it's right there you know to to try to keep putting on this suit that don't fit is tight 
It's got weebles. It's, you know, it's never fit us because it's never been designed for us. Yes. You know, the booty's too narrow. You know, we need some more room in those areas and the thighs. It, no, it's just not made for us. And then they slap a black person in there and then try to tell us he did a great job because he funded a Republican campaign here or there that, that staved off a Trump person. Like, don't nobody want to hear that when it was winnable by the Democrat. No question. So I'm just, yeah, yeah, I think it's time. I think it's time. This is the time to start talking about third parties. This is the time to start talking about lobbyists and and, and think tanks. And this is the time. This we don't time. wait until 2024. We don't wait till 2026. We don't wait till, we, we do it now. Yeah, this is the time. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, you, you just said it. In fact, what like I said, we bought a little time on Tuesday. And now the momentum is all about now. Like you said, it's not about uh 24 months from now it's not about six months from now it's like right now while we got this one in fact i don't know if you and, and i'm catching up on my series so have you talked to steve phillips about his new book i'm, I'm not oh yeah. let me see let me see i probably have you know yeah. what because you brought this book up before and then i think i booked him on the no, show no, no, no this is actually no his no but this is the new one his book before you probably talked to him brown is the new white you know he does a lot of demographics no, i didn't talk to him you know what don't yeah that's what you're this that's, is that's brand new happen. This is well brand new. Last couple of months, how we win the Civil War. All right, and, thank uh, you. Yeah, no, but he says he basically says, "Oh no, of course." He says that um, mm-hmm. this is a battle between those who wish to make America a multiracial democracy and those clinging to the concept that this is a fundamentally that this is fundamentally a white nation. That's what Steve Phillips is saying in uh, how we win the Civil War. And you know, now mind you, now let me let me do my disclaimer at the beginning. I have no investment in the United States of America. I'm the descendant of African people who were kidnapped and brought here under duress. And if and when, and it's going to really matter when, this thing dissolves and fractures, and we we can then make some real progress in remaking something very, very different. In fact, I can just say at the onset, before we get deeper into it, I mean, everybody knows this, but let me just be very clear about that. That don't mean I'm out here throwing bombs and no, mm-mm. That just means that I'm a student of history and I know how this works. There is an article in today's Financial Times, for example. Let me see. I think it's on uh, the op-ed page. Yeah. By Parag Khanna called Borders Are Holding Back the World's Eight Billion. He says the three salient facts of human life on Earth today are that we are about to number eight billion people. That's why they're having a climate conversation over in, uh, in Egypt. And Biden floated some things. And they're like, well, we're glad to have you back at the table. But, you know, this ain't nearly enough, right? Um, we face enormous demographic imbalances between the old and the young. Yeah, Africa is so young now and getting younger. And climate change is upon us. These are the things. So as we're talking about, you know, Kyrie and Kanye, as we're talking about Black Panther coming out. And by the way, there's a great article in the New York Times. John Perrell's did a review of the soundtrack, which is truly cultural meaning making in our Africana studies framework, that cultural meaning making category. Uh, Rihanna taking the lead on the lead song, but there are artists from the Caribbean. There are the indigenous uh, Central American artists in the soundtrack and all this kind of thing. But anyway, while we're talking about all that, the climate is like, you know, we can really get rid of you, right? Yeah. And y'all keep having babies. Y'all keep having babies. Yeah, hey, Benny, this is unsustainable. No problem. We're just going to wipe you off. Because make COVID ain't the virus. Maybe you the virus. But at any rate, Connor says, this calls for nothing less than a new human geography. We must shift away from the sovereignty that dictates 
our distribution across the planet towards a more dynamic equilibrium that favors collective human survival and productivity goes on. The thesis of his op-ed, which isn't a new idea at all, is that we should get rid of these state borders. And that's not going to happen today or tomorrow. It's not going to happen next year, 10 or 20 years from now. But there are more and more people thinking about that. And the simple fact, the simple fact, as we talked about, and we'll talk about more as we get deeper into our Africana studies course, particularly when we get framing question two, how did Africans preserve and affirm their ways of life and use their cultures and identities as means to resist enslavement? The simple fact is the central theme of human history is migration. People move. People move. And these artificial lines are no good. Now, I try to be a Pan-Africanist when it comes time to chopping some of this hair off my head. So I'll go to a number of different African people. I just walk in the neighborhood and I go in this place, this place. And so this last time I went in, I went into the uh, the West Africans who are up here. And, uh, you know, I'm sitting there talking because it's World Cup time. I know some of y'all into that World Cup, although Qatar, which is terrible on human rights, then made then build a billion stadiums and they about to start playing and it's so hot they got to play the games at night so i'm going in there and i'm loving listening to you know the nigerians and the ghanaians arguing about because you know nigeria and ghana played and and ghana put nigeria out so i'm sorry nigerians i know i i i, I know nigerian coming to world cup ghana's going though um uh, among others and anyway we're sitting there talking and i'm listening we talking and so we started talking about borders because i asked them who y'all pulling for the Winter Brothers was like, well, you know, I'm pulling for Argentina because, you know, I want to see Messi get one more. I said, okay, wow, okay. So we started talking. And then it turned into a conversation about France, which is Africa, when it comes to the World Cup. And, you know, they were laughing about how all these European teams got all these Africans on them. And they, so they want the Africans when it's time to fight for the cup. But then they beating them in the head and shooting them and doing all kinds of stuff when it's any other time. And so Winter Brothers said, you know, we don't need borders. Borders are terrible. These borders, they don't stop anything. Huh? So we're having this conversation, and I had gone up George Avenue into Montgomery County, into Montgomery County, which is Silver Spring. And by the way, I, 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 you know, I don't really do a, you know, y'all forgive me my little petty bourgeois um, hint today, but, you know, my frat brother, very good brother, another African person, born and raised in Baltimore, between Baltimore and New York, back and forth is the governor of maryland westmore so <laughs> did you see him doing the um they were the jamaican up uh, yeah I, saw he posted it. Yes. I was like <laughs> i was like the weather has changed the weather has the weather changed, changed. Ooh, white people mad Ooh, not white no 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 no. i'm sorry that's not true yeah actually that is absolutely true white <laughs> people are mad human beings are having a great time <laughs> you know whiteness is what's keeping this is what steve phillips is saying do you want a white minority rule country or do you want a different society? These are two different questions. And so when he's up there, yeah, this is my message. And you saw the hype man, like, what do you know us? What do you know us? Don't worry. What do you say, Wes? What do you say? Not, what do you say, Governor? What do you say, Mr. Mo no, what do you say, Wes? In other words, it was a whole governance social structure thing yes. going through that whole. <laughs> and he's just not out now. People saying he's an immigrant. He's not an immigrant. He's from Baltimore. Come on, now. the man from Baltimore. And guess what? You're an immigrant if you're saying, I'm a descendant of slaves. I'm not a descendant of slaves. I'm a descendant of Africans who were captured. And you're not a descendant of slaves. And what you are descendant of at this moment is a slave mentality. These are two <gasps> things. <laughs> See, a, a descendant of a slave mentality would think somehow clinging to that flag gonna make your master treat you better, treat you different. Yeah, yeah that's not gonna work. 
Now, when you see a Wes Moore, whose mother busted her ass, who he saw his father make transition. And of course, you know, it's funny because um, somebody said on social media uh, when that was posted, because we were having a good time. Of course, Ajwa, you know, Ajwa knows him and she was all happy and ecstatic. Of course, it was a beautiful thing to see people now saying, she said, I could finally share this picture of him. You know, she throwing her diamond up. He throwing up his alpha sign. It's a beautiful thing. And, and somebody responded, you know, my son, came and said, yeah, I know that dude. I read his book because at North Carolina a t they had the good sense to, to, to have the freshman class read that first book that he published, The Other West Moore, where he contrasts himself with the other brother. He talks his coming of age story. And then he did a book called The Work. That was the second book that he did, also bestseller, this kind of thing. But this book, uh, West Moore, he did with a sister, Erica Green, who used to walk right for the Baltimore uh, Sun. It's called The Fiery Reckoning of an American City, Five Days. West Moore who moved back to Baltimore and, you know, it's beautiful election night. And we understand we're not talking about identity politics as such. We know that, you know, individuals, you know, it's great to have beautiful families, but to watch that man look into his wife's eyes, these are black people and their children and kiss standing right there. And you say, okay, can we just pause and be in this moment for five seconds? Cause now you got to deal with the policy. And of course his mother, worked for a foundation. That's when they moved back from New York after his uh, father died and they were scraping by. She working several jobs. She doing all this to keep the family together. And you know, they ain't had no money, but you know what? These are Africans. And yes, they from the Caribbean two generations back, but that work ethic that they brought with them from the Caribbean is the same work ethic African people have had here. It's not different. So this whole tribalism that because we want to stand behind the lines that these colonizers drew and then snipe at each other, that's not going to work. So anyway, I'll, I'll finish it very, very quickly on Westmore. But when you read this book, he opens the book in April uh, 2015. This is the book about Freddie Gray. Because he moved back, you know, Governor Moore, Governor-elect Moore, moved back to uh, Maryland with his family after his mom relocated because the job sent her back from uh, Connecticut to uh, back to Maryland, he relocated with them at 13 years old. So he grew up on the streets of Baltimore. The church where Freddie Gray was, as we would say in the black community, funeralized was his home church. And he went to the funeral, but he said, I didn't go up. I didn't go down the aisle. I didn't go down there, view the body because I didn't know him. He said, it's the first funeral I've gone to for somebody who I did not know in life. And I didn't feel right because he said all the politicians were there and all the people from the hood were there and everybody in between. And he said I had to get on a plane to fly to Boston because, of course, he started that Robin Hood Foundation. Because after he was able to go to college and then he went to the military, active duty military, uh, Rhodes Scholarship, which, you know, F. Cecil Rhodes. But, you know, Westmore was able to travel and do some things. He came back, worked at the White House as an intern, this kind of thing. And then, you know, started this Robin Hood Foundation because he said people don't get a chance to go to college he had to go give a talk. Two days he was out of town. He left the funeral early, didn't stay long enough to hear the eulogy, this kind of thing. And of course, uh, Jamal Bryant, who's now down in Atlanta, you know, was turned out to vote, roasted Herschel Walker, this kind of thing. He gave, he gave the, the eulogy. Now, I remember this weekend well, because not only were we watching, remember a Prince did the song, Freddie Gray, right? I mean, this whole, uh, they set up after the funeral, Moore's on a plane. By the time he comes back two days later, Baltimore is ablaze. Right up in North Avenue, not too far from uh, uh, my man Nati, uh, everyone's place on North Avenue, the best black bookstore on the East Coast, one of the best in the world. 
all that stuff the cvs they burnt the cvs up remember the the city made the terrible mistake to uh shut off the bus service so when the young people got out of frederick douglas high school over here across the street from coppin state those of you know baltimore know what i'm talking about you know there's nowhere for them to go they trapped and in mondovan mall they trapped out there because they can't get home and the next thing you know all this frustration is coming on so what's more rights about the fact he came back like what the what the you know that, that was one uh that was one of the key moments when we see don lemon make a come to jesus <laughs> you know what i'm saying because he down there at city hall in a fortified block and you see everybody around there on pins and needles and cnn got all the lights up and you know, you can't really criticize black people at this point, Don. You don't have to make a make a choice, bro, because these lines been uh, drawn. But anyway, while Moore writes about that, he he and uh, Sister Erica Green tell what they call five. They tell the stories of several um, different people. He they look at eight people from Baltimore. They look at um, a brother who was in the, the police. He was a captain in the Baltimore Police Department, and they go through the anguish he had and the conflicts he was dealing with. Because you out here called on to bust the heads of your people. Um, he looks at a, a young woman who was a white public defender who found herself fighting, of course, on the side of the angels and, and not conflicted at all. But then there's a sister whose brother had been killed by the police who did not get depressed. And then she's out in the street. And then he, uh, they talk with John Angelos, who is at the top of the economic food chain and his family in Baltimore, you know, who has to have a conversion moment. But I'm saying all that to say that Westmore, Erica Green, see, Westmore is, is he not Larry Hogan, who was the governor and tried to trash Marilyn Mosby, tried to trash the mayor of Baltimore, tried to racialize this. And Larry, um, you know, wait, what happened to Larry? Oh, no, he's no longer. Governor. Oh, the governor's Westmore. Oh, yeah, this is very nice. Anyway, the point is that, you know, this ain't going to be race politics the way you used to playing it. Now, we don't know what's going to happen. He hadn't taken the oath of office That's a few months down. We don't know what's going to happen after that, because although he has a Democratic majority, in fact, there are four states in the United States of America now where the Democrats control the apparatus. And that could make a difference, because on the state level, as I was saying, and, and we'll finish now when it comes to Lula, at the state level, you have access to resources, and now the policy must match the promise. So in Brazil, Lula said he's going to raise the minimum wage, he's going to do the cash stipend for poor families with children under the age of six, and also maintain, already they've got a social welfare payment at about $110 a month, the real in Brazil, as, as Cedric teaches us, is, is, is the money. Under the current budget rules, the payment should fall to about 405 uh, ran uh, uh, a real. They're going to reduce it from 600 real to 405 real under this Balanzaro policy and this current policy. But but Lula wants to bump it back up to where it is now and enhance it. But he can't do it because I mean, he can't do it without some policy help and some legal help. Because, as it says, however, Lula has little room to maneuver with much of next year's budget already earmarked by Congress and encumbered Jair Balanzaro's administration. He is further constrained by Brazil's constitutionally mandated spending cap, known as the Teto, which limits budget increases to inflation. Hold that in our minds. We'll come back in a minute when we start talking about the Russian roulette that the White Nationalist Party will no doubt play with Joe Biden if and when they take the congressional majority in January based on the out uh, on the uh, outstanding elections that are you know, elections that are still being decided. If the White Nationalists take the federal legislature, 
then it's, they will probably try to hold the debt ceiling hostage. Well, in Brazil, they've got the constitutionally mandated debt ceiling. So he can't do anything unless, next paragraph, after meeting with congressional leaders this week, Lula, who narrowly defeated the right-wing Bolsonaro in elections last month, has opted to pursue a constitutional amendment that would put 175 billion real, or $32 billion, for of funds into his social welfare plans outside the cap thereby circumventing its limitations. It is a risky strategy that will inevitably evoke political compromises even before the 77-year-old takes office on January 1st. It also appears to be causing unease among some investors. The Brazilian real has fallen about 5%. Again, and I won't go on because see, this is what happens with investors. And we're going to talk about this in the context. In fact, we may do a little soundtrack, a little bit of a soundtrack today because earlier this month, uh, Joe Teresa, at age 88, made transition. And some of you all who are music fans, y'all know who Joe Teresa is. Joe Teresa from Philly, white dude, Italian, was the founder of Sigma Sound Studios, I think 1968 or 1969. In fact, let me just read it. And I'll come back and I'll make the connection. Joe Teresa, this is yesterday's New York Times. This is him right here, Joe Teresa. You see him? Yeah, when you think of gambling huff, the sound of Philadelphia, you got to put Joe Teresa with them. It says Joe Teresa, the recording engineer and studio operator who was among the architects of the lush, fervent, and blend of soul, disco, and funk known as the sound of Philadelphia. That on November 1st in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. He was 88. Goes on. Well, one of the songs that they recorded among the many, and we'll probably drop a few of them in through, through the course of our little time together uh, today. Um, For the love of money, people will sell their own mother. Yeah, for the love of money. Yes, sir. The OJs for the love of money. People don't let money, don't let money change you. But you know all the Santa Philadelphia songs got those strings, got those horns. It's unmistakable sound. But for the love of money, the investors, and we saw the stock market rise the day before the federal election in the United States in anticipation of the elections and the aftermath. Some people said that's because they think the Republicans are going to win. Maybe, maybe not, but here's something a lot of times we, we, we may not know. The stock market generally rises just before the midterm election, just before the federal election in the United States. So every two years. Why? Because the, the, the stock market, these investors who only care about money, you see, they're not, they don't care about, you know, Democrats, Republicans, although they, you know, they'd rather have the Republicans in because the Republicans are going to make them more money. But their thing is, how whatever it's going to be, it's going to be settled after that. You understand? And once it's settled, we can see what it is. And they prefer a kind of stasis mode. If you notice, yesterday's paper, day before's news, today's news, what is happening? You're starting to see prices come down. What is going on here? The Fed is saying, maybe we won't raise interest rates in the United States. What the hell is going on? Did something change on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? That wasn't the case Sunday, Monday, Tuesday? Went, yeah, what did they? Well, it was an election, wasn't there? Yeah, okay, we're past. We like stasis. We like stasis. Sigh of relief. Because, see, everybody know that Carrie Lake crazy. Everybody know Herschel Walker has some difficult mental challenges he's going to have to tend. But everybody know that Shapiro defeated a candidate in Pennsylvania that shouldn't be near where you shouldn't be the governor of the bathroom in his house, much less the state of Pennsylvania. Everybody know. 
everybody knows that these people are crazy, including the investors. They don't like that kind of thing. White nationalism is only useful if it can put into place policymakers that will enhance this capitalist structure and the people who are skimming off the top. And now that we're past that, they can kind of begin to slow the pressure. Now, in Brazil, these investors are looking like, well, here, constitutional amendment, no, you may go too far. Because, see, we got a guy here now who's helping us with a kleptocracy. And we don't like this left-wing stuff. But look at what Lula is doing. Is he perfect? Hell no. I mean, they're going to invade Haiti. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The United States tried to lead a charge. Why is Mexico deep in it? You got a lot of Haitian people who are ended up in Mexico. People move. But Brazil, last time they invaded Haiti, Brazil put part of their contingent, their military in with the UN. A lot of people don't understand, however, that Lula does not, the presidency doesn't control the military like that. In some ways, the military is a fourth branch of government in Brazil. They do what the hell they want to do. This time he's back. Can he manage that? It's going to be difficult. But the point I'm trying to make at this point to, to wrap it up and then as we continue making just making this contrast between Brazil and the United States and this, in this case, a comparison, if you can get enough people, that is the superpower of a society is the people. It's not money. It's the people. If you can get enough people behind you to affect policy change, you might have a window to either relieve some pressure, as Linda Sarsour or Tarika, uh, Tamika Mallory and them say, harm reduction self-defense, you might be able to ease some pressure. Lula's going to try to get some more money in the pockets of the ultra poor. It's going to try to put a floor up under the children. It's going to try to extend health care. It's going to try to extend education, kind of restore something to things that were taken away during Bolanzaro from this full, this long march that he was on and then the sister who came in after him and then Bolanzaro and them get involved and start clawing back and the fascists are really on the march. This is a, this is a fight contrasted to the United States. On the federal level, with a few more votes, George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Not perfect, not nearly what we want, but better than what's going on right now and a step toward moving toward even better would be passed. Might be passed in the term between uh, November, December, and January as this legislature realizes, well, we can't do nothing else and they're gonna have the numbers. A few more of those seats and on the federal level, John Lewis Act, uh, for the People Act would have been passed, would be passed in January. House, Senate, boom. But then by not voting, those things are not in place. But here's the thing. So in other words, at the state level, however, we saw referenda put in place that while those federal elections didn't take place to enable some other things, what happened? What were some of the ballot initiatives that we looked at? Well, in Arizona, the white nationalists put a proposition on the ballot to try to uh, enhance voter ID and suppress the vote even more. The voters rejected it. They still got some messed up rules in Arizona, but they weren't able to add another. Those of you who partake in cannabis, celebrating in Maryland, because Westmore's the governor, and now weed is legal for recreational use. Doesn't affect me one way or the other, because the only couple of times I tried weed in high school and one time in grad school, I laughed so hard, I thought my heart was going to bust. And I said, oh, I can't, I can't, I cannot. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. But for those of you who do that, do you. At the same time, records are going to be expunged as well in the state of Maryland. What's more is entering an interesting moment now with a, a, a Democratic legislature. It's going to be a good time for Coppin, for Morgan. It's going to be a good time for the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. It's going to be a good time for Bowie State University and the HBCUs. What's more is very familiar with those institutions. And not just that, but the University of Baltimore. My friend Kurt Schmoke, who's president of the University of Baltimore, the outgoing president of the University of uh, um, um, University of uh, Maryland, 
the Honors College, UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, uh, Freeman Robowski, who's from Birmingham, Alabama, um, part of the civil rights movement as a little boy. It's going to be important for education and that, and for the community colleges, Montgomery County Community College, Prince George Community College. It's going to be important because education is something this brother values very deeply, having come up in a, in a, in a family and in a community of black people, regardless of where they're from, who deeply value education and then who fought his way with his family out of a position where they couldn't get what they wanted to a position where he'd be fine. But he is white. Their children moved back to Baltimore and say we intervening first with the Robin Hood Foundation, then intellectual politics. But you know this kind of thing, yeah, okay, fine. Cannabis is is, is legalized. Also, however, records being expunged. So all those people who ask these people whose record going to be wiped, whether or not it's important to vote, and that's that that that's important. Uh, Maryland wasn't the only state that did it. Uh, they rejected it in Arkansas. So uh, Dr. Jones needs to be part of that brain trust to continue the apparatus, building the apparatus, because they elected a wholly unqualified simp to now uh, float through uh, a state house that she lived in as a little girl with her daddy. That would be Sarah Huck, Sarah Huck um, of B. Sanders, who will now float through and, 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 oh, did I do that? On her way to whatever other ambition. She's probably bumped her fleshy head against the ceiling of her ambition. However, I don't think they're going to let her out of Arkansas. Uh, anytime soon and hopefully that will be a passing moment but you know she was uh she defeated dr jones dr chris jones but and they also defeated uh legalizing marijuana legalizing cannabis in arkansas but in missouri in the mizzou the citizens of missouri voted to uh legalize it that's going to be important because you know you get caught up in that machinery and you get you get jacked up you know i was laughing with my students uh on thursday we were in class and uh, one of my best students, Ariel Gordon, is from St. Louis. Just a brilliant, brilliant young sister. And I said, y'all turned out the loo, huh? She said, Daddy Carr, so many of my friends went to vote because they were going to vote for that initiative. But while they were in the booth, they pulled the box for other people. But I mean, you know, it's funny. I mean, the things that appear to people. But anyway, like I said, Lula trying to do it on the national level. In the United States, a few more Senate seats probably would have got that legislation passed that we needed. And by the way, we'll talk more about the House of Representatives in a minute because California and New York uh, have independent uh, redistricting uh, rules. And that's probably where if they lose the House, the Democrats going to lose the House because Florida and Texas, where the white nationalist party and Ohio, where the white nationalist party did extreme gerrymandering uh, and, and, and picked off a few seats, flipped a few seats and held the rest. You know, that ain't where the majority, if they get the majority, is going to come from. It's not coming from Texas and Florida. It's going to come because New York said, no, we'll have an independent commission draw the rules. And we don't like it. But uh, and shout out to Sean Mahoney, because you, Tim Ryan, y'all still chasing them blue collar white men who don't exist no more. And they are so deep into the pocket of white nationalism that you can't catch them. So nobody be listening to Tim Ryan anymore about nothing when it comes to this idea of creating what Steve Phillips talking about. Because you now have in the federal legislature at the Senate side from Ohio, another simp, a simp billionaire, uh, J.D. Vance, who comes second to maybe only Lindsey Graham in the amount of exquisite booty kissing he did to Donald J. Trump. And by the way, white commercial media trying to figure out how you can cover your tracks 
and by saying, you know, this is about Trump. This happened because of Trump. Yeah, leave that man alone. He's trying to marry his daughter this weekend. Or actually, he's not. I looked at the pictures. He wasn't very happy to be there. He mad as hell. Why? Because he thinks his worst nightmare is Andrew DeSantis. <laughs> and that ain't your worst nightmare, man. Your worst nightmare is mortality and that little voice that won't shut up in your head. But anyway, Prop, you want to see what you No, no, I'm just laughing. Go ahead. Continue, please. No, no. So, so at the state level, in other words, the, you know, we had a moment last week where we might have been able to bring off something that might look closer to what Lula's going to try to bring off in Brazil with these constitutional amendments. Could have gotten this legislation passed, but that moment is passed, and that's okay, because we knew what was going to happen Wednesday. The sun was going to come up the same way it always does, and we black people. As Frank Smith, who was a member of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, we did some uh, get-out-the-vote work with WPFW, Joni Eisenberg, my man, uh, Clarence Luzane, um frank smith and myself on uh election uh no it was on monday monday morning we were on wpfw and frank was on i love that brother he is the director of the african-american civil war museum um they just expanded when they reopen in a few months they're doing an ex a permanent exhibit called from bullets to ballots frank smith from georgia morehouse graduate uh actually knew very well um calvin butts and also, um, anyway, I won't get too deep into that. Frank, we may talk about Frank Smith in the day. Dr. Smith was on the D.C. City Council. Just a, a very important brother, humble brother, powerful force, committed very deeply to our community, to our people. His brother lives in the, in the Atlanta suburbs. And so he said, you know, we need to come down there and give y'all a hand. This is a man, Frank Smith, by the way, when he, when he was in his early 20s, like 22, 23 years old was in Mississippi with the rest of his comrades in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And he told us the story Monday morning, told the world the story of how, he told many times of how they went to bail out Mrs. Hamer one night out of jail. And when they got her, she had been beaten. And she was telling them how, how they were beating women in the jail and raping them. I mean, these are the type of things people say, well, you should vote because your ancestors died for it. People say, oh, that ain't good enough. Okay, I'm going to come back to ain't good enough in a minute. Uh, Fan Lou Hamer, a local leader. We were talking about the local influence of politics. But anyway, Frank was telling his uh, brother, you know, y'all need some help. And Frank's brother said, you know how long we've been dealing with these white boys down here? We know what to do. He said, you handle your part. <laughs> so this is the whole thing. Now, you know, and anyway, we'll come back to George in a minute. But I just brought that up in the context of if we had all handled our part, it'd be very different. If enough people had turned out in New York and California, you wouldn't have to worry about flipping the legislature. And Summer Lee would have some help down there, you know. And, and Manuel Frost would have some help coming out of Florida and Pennsylvania. And they'd be able to get some stuff passed. And in the Senate, looks like they're going to hold the Senate, the Democrats. But I'm saying that to say, failing that at the state level, these ballot initiatives are very important. So, you know, it's all fun and games. We talk about marijuana, although the expungement is... Not fun and games because that's serious business. So they rejected it, yes, in North Dakota and South Dakota. Although it was kind of close, they rejected it in Arkansas, but they passed it in Maryland and they passed it in Missouri. Let's go to a woman's right to choose whether to terminate a pregnancy. Well, in Kentucky, the white nationalists put on the ballot, they want to put in the Constitution that you can't terminate a pregnancy. That was rejected. Then these very same people that wouldn't vote for our brother Charles Booker did not vote to extend, uh, to to make, to ban abortion in uh, Kentucky. And guess what? They tried something similar um, and couldn't get it in Vermont. 
instead of saying no abortion, they said any baby born live, including uh, one who is born live after an abortion, uh, has to have health care, is declared a human being. They rejected it in Montana. Oh, that's interesting. See, these white nationalists kind of went all over the map. In Georgia, oh, by the way, white commercial uh, entertainment news media that nobody's watching, you could save yourself some throat wear and tear by trying to put black men and black women in a fight with each other. Yes, Stacey Abrams could have made some different type of choices in messaging and people around her and this kind of thing, but let's be very clear. You know who voted for Herschel Walker in Atlanta, in Macon, in all them rural-ass counties where five people and a cow live? White men and white women. Yes, white women. Now, it's very important. It, don't put that on black men and don't put it on black women. If all the black men and black women who voted, voted for her, she still wouldn't have won because you white people went out there and as John Henry Clark used to say, sometimes in crisis moments, blood calls blood. And somehow, blood always answers. And blood answered in Georgia. Now, we should have got out more votes. Absolutely. And there was a couple of percentage points but between black men and black women. But let's be clear. See this pitting us against each other? That's some old social structure-ish. And if you listen to it, you listen to your master's voice. Turn it off. And let's have a different kind of conversation. Now, in terms of enshrining a woman's right to choose in the Constitution, it ain't in the Constitution of the United States yet. Let, yet missed, that, missed that opportunity. Lula's going to put some stuff in the Constitution. If you can get enough votes to put a, a, a floor under the poorest people in Brazil. Yeah, but at the state level, a woman's right to choose was enshrined in the Constitution by referenda in Vermont, in California, and most uh, promisingly in Michigan. In Michigan where the Democrats will return to the state house and re-election, secretary of state, got black women in the state house as well. But the point is that what you have then is the people at the state level pushing back. That's gonna be important. Early voting was expanded in Connecticut. Early voting was expanded in Connecticut. And in Nevada, they uh, expanded those rules as well. It's very important because in Indiana, in you know, Indiana was already terrible, so they 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 enhanced their voter ID law, and in, and in Ohio, because they they don't want Cleveland and Columbus or Dayton to go rogue, they are pushed to say like if you're not a citizen, you can't vote, because in some places in this country, you work in the United States, you're a legal resident, you can vote. Well, they didn't want the cities to have that power. See, this is what these white nationalists been doing, you know, after um, Brown versus Board, and after about ten years when desegregation, well, uh, busing kind of came in. What you then see is they want to control the cities where these black people are. So they expand the government to the county, Nashville, Davidson County, Atlanta, Fulton County, Jackson, Hines County, Charlotte, Mecklenburg County. They want to kind of, and then if they couldn't control that, they go to the state level. So if you pass at the local level, they had a state as a check. Well, you know, that's what they did in Ohio, anticipating that Columbus might go rogue, the state capital, and let people who are here vote, regardless of where they are here, with an eye toward this idea that everybody here should have that. Um, the right to bear arms. They put that in the Constitution in Iowa, in Iowa. Mm -hmm. But in Oregon, the citizens said, you got to have a permit to buy a gun in, or in Oregon. Now, Phil Knight, you spent all that money? Just do it. You won't see me buying no Nikes ever again in life unless I float through the thrift store on my way somewhere where I'm going to tear up the shoes and leave them in the trash and I might spend $2 and get something in because I ain't really particular about what I put on my feet. Yes, I know it's a habit, you know, whatever. But a right to health care was also voted on in Oregon. That's important. And something Tamika Mallory brought up 
the other night we were all over at Crampton Auditorium on the campus of Howard University, and I'm gonna talk about that in a second, just a little bit. Ron Daniels pulled together something in the Institute of the Black World, uh, state of the race kind of thing, commentary on the on the the meaning of the midterm elections. And shout out to all the people who came out who are loyal listeners of Karen, uh, UProf, um, part of the global majority. I saw people from Nubia. I mean, you know, this truly is a widespread movement. And I must pause to note several people who not only listen to us and have conversation with us every Saturday, but then chop up our conversation and send it to their children, grandchildren. And it's like, and they, and then nephews and nieces and say, y'all, when y'all get ready, look at these segments. It, it really, I mean, it's very humbling to be in a space where you realize that we're adding to something positive for our people. These, these, these glasses of water are really, are really adding to that. There was a lot of people there who do a lot of work, but I, I mentioned that because Tamika Mallory noted that in Louisville, uh, the judge, uh, Mary Shaw, who signed basically signed um, signed Breonna Taylor's death warrant with the lie that the police told. And the judge signed off on them five warrants, including the one they busted in the door on Kenneth Walker and Breonna Taylor and slaughtered Breonna Taylor in her bed. That judge won't be making no more warrants. That judge will not be issuing any warrants because the black people in Louisville turned out and by 51% to 49% vote, voted her out and the new judge taking her place this sister, uh, Tracy Davis, Tracy Steele Davis, Tracy Steele Davis was the lawyer that got Tamika and them out of jail, that was bailing people out, a very uh, deeply invested activist lawyer, sister who stands on the side of the angels, Ajua, she's a Delta, so just, you know, I know you, that's important. <laughs> so, uh, but Tamika was like, yeah, yeah, they voted her in. So you ain't gonna be killing no more people, Mary. You're out. Because people took their ballot on the local level and switched you out with a black woman who ain't never going to let that happen again. Ran on the fact that she, you know, I'm, I'm going to stand on the side of angels. It's very important to understand. So local level, state level, federal level, we had these issues going on. So I want to pause here for a moment and having talked a little bit about this week in terms of electoral politics and just a little glimpse and to kind of summarize major points. In the United States of America, we're in a moment given these midterm elections that took place on Tuesday and that are still taking place in terms of the votes being counted in certain places, like Nevada, where the mail-in votes are yet to be counted are being counted and that will put uh, the Democrats back in charge of the United States Senate because uh, Arizona has been called for Kelly and Nevada will be called for myself for the uh, current senator shortly, giving the Democrats 50, still giving Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema a little bit too much say. So making the election, the, the last Senate election in Georgia important, Mitch McConnell announced on Thursday that he was turning over as many resources as he could from the party, from the white nationalist party to Brian Kemp, the white nationalist governor who was reelected in Georgia. So they could cut one head off and you know it's interesting parenthetically let me just say this in 30 seconds i was watching calvin butt's funeral and again our sympathies and praises go to the family of calvin butts to the family of abyssinian baptist church and just watching the funeral 
watching Reverend Warner. Another frat brother. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm gonna get this petty bourgeois stuff out of my system. I'm just happy about Westmore. Anyway, uh, Calvin Butt, uh, Calvin Butts. Um, he, he, Reverend Warner, Raphael Warner, got up to give like a mini eulogy to a lot of speakers. And if he talked that way on the campaign trail, that he talked in the governance formation of a black funeral at Abyssinian Baptist Church for his friend and brother and fellow Morehouse graduate Calvin Butts, I don't think it would have been close in Georgia because some white people are not going to vote for him anyway. But those people that we talking about, you need to reach in the street. If they heard, you know, if they heard Raphael Warner preach the way he preached that day at Butts' funeral, I suspect it'd been a different outcome. We wouldn't be talking about this fool still sniffing around the United States Senate so he can join people like Courage Tuberville from Alabama, from 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 Auburn, a purebred racist. It shouldn't it should be nobody with black hands touch a football in Alabama at the University of Alabama, Auburn from now to Jesus Christ come back. And when he come back, you find out he black. He don't like football anyway because it's too violent. But the whole point is that Herschel Walker, you're not going to run your ass up in there and join Tommy Tuberville. I think that if he had talked the way he preached that day, it was a beautiful, it was a, it was a beautiful few minutes. If you get a chance, it's, it's posted on Abyssinian Baptist Church's website and on YouTube as well. Um, so back to what I was saying. On Tuesday, these elections bought us some time and moving forward over the next month, January may become, I'm sorry, December, the runoff in Georgia may become less important if and when, and it will be a matter of when really, Nevada is called for the Democrats, joining Arizona, giving the Democrats 50 in the Senate. Now the House may or may not, but probably will go Republican. We don't know yet because it won't still be encountered. Mail-in ballots, this kind of thing. If that happens, then, and again, I'm just summarizing before I want to go to the point I wanted to really start at this morning, but, you know, we needed to do this. If that happens and the, the white nationalists get the House of Representatives and Democrats keep the House, if they keep it with 51 and Warnock is victorious, and we expect that, break the back of white nationalism wherever you can. So if you are from Georgia, you need to vote. I'm talking about a Georgian in a minute, an undergraduate at Howard, who I want to talk about in a minute, a junior from Atlanta, who really said something the other night at this thing, at this uh, meeting we had that was just very powerful. If you are from Georgia, you need to vote. If you live outside of Georgia, don't be sending off in no ballots. I mean, go down there, figure out a way. If you're not from Georgia, you want to volunteer, get out to vote, get out to vote. This is not going to be won by TV ads. And when they call it in Nevada, I don't know that that ghoul out of Kentucky, Mitch McConnell, will invest the kind of money in Georgia that he was planning to do now because it won't be for control of the Senate. He'd be on the phone with his friend Joe Manchin. Like, hey, look, I know you're Republican, so you just hold the line until January and then we'll just gum up the works for two weeks, two years. But when it wins, Hey, Joe. Yeah, you on the houseboat with the blow-dried hair, the cosplay coal miner. You're a lot less relevant. And cinema. You're going to get primary. You're going to get primary soon. So I'm saying if one wins the first week of December, then maybe, maybe not, between the first week of December and the swearing in in January before they go out of session for the holiday break, while they have a majority and two people who are about to be a whole lot less relevant if Republicans win the House. Why not take a shot? 
and calling up Joe and said, look, man, pass that. You and Cinema get y'all ass together because Cinema was okay with the voting rights joint. Y'all pass that for the people at. He lost this one. When? The second week of December. Yeah, that George Floyd justice and policing? Go ahead. You can tell your people you're not a racist. Not that you care in West Virginia, but go ahead. Who knows? But lot riding on that first week of December that isn't necessarily about controlling the Senate in 2023 and might be about getting a couple of them little pieces of legislation. They're not silver bullets, but they're better than not having them. And it's particularly that voting rights. If you can get that in, and, and even in its weakened form, you've made a little step towards shoring up because what they also averted finally on Tuesday in the, uh, in the federal elections, in the state and local elections, what was averted was a collapse that could have real implications in 2024. The firewall was strengthened in Michigan, Secretary of State. The firewall was strengthened in Pennsylvania, Secretary of State. The, the firewall was strengthened. In other words, you, it's going to be hard to steal Pennsylvania. And you can't go in there in Michigan because you got some people who are going to fight the white nationalists. And you tried to flip Wisconsin. That white nationalist you ran in Wisconsin for governor said, if I win, the Republicans will never lose another election in Wisconsin. Well, you lost, Tony Evers. And you got to ask yourself, if Tony Evers can win governor, how come Mandela Barnes couldn't beat Ron Johnson? You know race is going to be a factor. So black folk in Milwaukee, I wish you'd come out a little bit longer. But hey, if the response is, I ain't seen Mandela Barnes, then brother, 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 as Marvin might say, you know, you got to got to change tactics a little bit. All right. Now, now I'm shifting. This morning, I uh, got a, um, uh, a text from our, our friend and sister, by the way, Monday night in um, Monday night in, in Nubia in our class, which we will continue that conversation that's coming up uh, Monday on social structure. So there's no new reading for this week. We're going to continue it. Um, want to Kathy came in and made the announcement and congratulations, Claflin University. Thanks to her and uh, her brother, my brother, uh, our brother Andre Key, Dr. Andre Key, Dr. Catherine Randolph, and Dr. Andre Key. The Africana Studies sequence for the major at Claflin will be the first university in the country to adopt and expand and extend, which is just building on work Kat been doing for years because she was part of the formation of these conceptual categories when we were all in Philly. Um, the first university to adopt that as the core structure of their disciplinary work in courses, offered courses. So Claflin, congratulations. You did the right thing. Kathy, congratulations. Uh, Andre, just congratulations because that is an extension and it's done in the way that we have flipped. The center of our intellectual work is the community, is us. Universities are spokes on the outer rim of that. Claflin has made the step. We couldn't bring it off at Howard. Not yet, maybe not ever. And it's less and less relevant. It's less and less relevant. That's a victory, though. And it should be acknowledged. But she she wasn't reaching out about that this morning because we talked about that Monday night. And we'll continue talking about in that vein some other things on Monday night when we get back into class Monday night. And those of you hanging on to Elon Musk, like he going to change or something's going to change at Twitter. I mean, there may be two or three of y'all who might want to join Nubia because people say, what are we going to do? What, what else going to do? Well, us got to us, you know, say less. Um, we'll say less, but she and her students last week, since we all talked, interviewed one of our most revered and important elders, Dr. William Gunn, Bill Gunn, who was on the faculty at Benedict College for uh, 45 years, still going strong, still going strong. You can get his uh, book, Rhythmic, Rhythmic African Spirituality, Dr. Gunn, 
uh, wrote that book. I mean, just a brilliant brother, a master teacher. Well, Kat took her students over there. Remember, she talked about that Monday, and she's been talking about that. And that's one of the things we're talking about in Nubia as we're building out this question of gathering our family histories, our community histories. And Maahia Dixon, she sent me a picture of Maahia Dixon. Uh, shout out, Maahia, with uh, Dr. Gunn holding up his book after they had spent time sitting with him and interviewing them. And I asked her, I said, if I could share that information. She said, yeah. She said, we need more young people sitting at the feet of elders especially in times like these. That's a direct quote. So, you know, those people who are, those of you who are interviewing your family members or in conversation with your family members, you know, take a page from Dr. Adams at Claflin and her students, Ms. Dixon, and to interview the elders, not just family elders, but community elders. And we'll have a lot more to say about that as we're building that feature out in Nubia. Now I want to turn to this intergenerational transmission. In another vein, same vein, different location. Thursday night, sitting there um, at the State of the Black World uh, Election Review. Oh, I thought I had the paper here where I was, uh, was going to tell y'all some of the people who were there. But I mean, I, I obviously remember them all, but uh, I didn't want to miss anybody. So the um, it was in honor of Dr. Ron Walters. Dr. Patricia Newton from Baltimore, Francis Cress Welsing, of course, Dr. Welsing, and Damu Smith, the great social justice warrior out of D.C., Ron Walters, of course, being the legend, the whole legend. Uh, among the people who were there, of course, uh, Mar Morial, Hillary Shelton from the NACP, who I encourage, you got to write your memoir, man. And he said, yeah, you know, I got to be careful. Um, you know, some things I might want. I said, well, at least record everything, because I'm going to tell you right now, right now, in somebody's graduate school, extremely well-funded is some young white undergraduate or black at this point not connected to any struggle any protos just waiting for you to die so they can get in your papers and tell you who you are mm -mm. now you know as somebody who reads all those books who reads a lot of those dissertations who has been on many dissertation committees who understands this work what i'm saying is that that's not their story to tell however well-meaning however brilliant they are the story of people to tell is the people's story who did it and that's why I was just telling that. Telling that. Melanie Campbell, of course, Melanie Campbell and Janice Mathis, both of them, these sisters, talk about powerhouses, was getting out to vote, doing the work. Uh, of course, Tamika, as I mentioned, Mo Mitchell, my man Mo Mitchell, who um, is a founder of the Working Families Party, a brilliant brother, talked a lot about third party politics, as you were talking. I mean, just, I mean, like my former student, he went to Howard. Mo was just a good brother, Maurice Mitchell. Um, James Early, Elsie Scott, so many others. Elsie Scott directs the Ron Walters Center, uh, Dr. James Early. Worked for many years at the Smithsonian, was responsible in part for the Folklife Festival, travels internationally. He put everything in international context, Colombia, Brazil, you know, all those people are being invited back to Baltimore. And Dane's just pulling people together from Baltimore for the State of the Black World Conference next year. Uh, I mentioned Ife Williams, um, sister, one of the founding uh, members of the Black Women's Congress. Um, she and Dick Gregory are very close. Uh, she's finishing a manuscript uh, shortly. You know, political work, very important. Mel Foote, who's done a lot of work around Africa over many decades, um, just African policy making. Uh, Sheridan Yeary, um, Todd Yeary, who worked with the Rainbow Coalition. A lot of people, Mike McBride, Justin Hansford, who directs the Thurgood Marshall Center at Howard, who's just been appointed to the United Nations Commission uh, dealing with race and African people. Very important, locally tying local communities together. But all that I said is a prelude to this. This young brother named Aaron Johnson who I imagine he and Mahahi Dixon probably around the same age. He's a junior at Howard. He's a double major in biology and mathematics. And 
he was responding to some of the comments we were making about where are we going from here in terms of the election. And Aaron got up and said, you know, I'm from Atlanta. He said, we have talked to our elders. We have to talk to our elders because my grandmother, who's been a registered nurse for, I think he said, 42, 43 years. He said, my grandmother told me about when she was arrested protesting in Albany. And immediately my mind went to Frank Smith, went to Charles and Shirley Sherrod, went to Bernice Johnson Reagan, the founder of Sweet Honey in the Rock from Albany, coming out of Albany State University, the SNCC singers who uh, have a beautiful piece that I played Tuesday morning in class, uh, get the students fired up out of Washington, D.C., the song that Sweet Honey in the Rock wrote. No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation give the people their right to vote. And then they go through like three verses where they go through the history of the suppression of voting rights in Washington, D.C. from the beginning of the District of Columbia to now. And then they talk about different ways that the vote could be acquired. Retrocede into Maryland, create the own special district, make D.C. the 51st state, all these things. And they did it all in music, cultural meaning making and movement and memory. Very, just a beautiful song. But Brittany Johnson, Reagan from Albany. And so when, when Brother Johnson, when Aaron said, my grandmother was arrested, she talked about that. She said, that's enough. He said, that's enough for me to vote. But he said, it's not enough for a lot of my peers. And then he said, I learned this in class with Dr. Carr. He couldn't make this up. I didn't know he was going to say this. Dr. Carr and Dr. Dana Williams, who's the dean of the graduate school now. You know, for years, we taught the freshman seminar. And, um, he quoted a book that we had them read when he was a freshman two years ago. The Education of Black People. Y'all heard me quote this book a lot. I love this book. In fact, I'm in the middle of teaching it now in my Education in Black America class as we wrap up the semester. And he quoted a passage from the first speech that W.E.B. Du Bois did 10 speeches in here. He gave them all except one at HBCUs. He gave several at his alma mater, Fisk, including the feeling function of the Negro College the revolution, uh, the re the uh, revelation of Saint Orgnay the Dam. Orgnay is a kind of scramble of the word Negro. He's talking about himself after seventy years of life. He uh, diaturni silenti, long silence that he gave in nineteen twenty four after these white trustees and these people had tried to push Fisk into this neoliberal position. He wouldn't call it neoliberal now. Then I'm calling it now. And he comes and blows the whole place up. His classmate gets mad at him. His school classmate when he graduated from Fisk, I think it was eighteen eighty eight. Uh, Margaret Murray, Margaret Murray was, became the wife of Booker T. Washington, Margaret Murray Washington, and she was mad as hell. And trustees, see, the trustees give you money, uh, get the money, they get money from people, and then the people with the money want to tell you what to do. They had tried to turn Fisk into a voca vocational school earlier than that. That's when he had first come back to Fisk and gave the, uh, to talk Galileo Galilei, 1908. He came back with the field and function of the Negro College, 1924. Story for another day. No, 1933. But Aaron, Thursday night, quoted the first speech that Du Bois gave. 
The last one in here he gave in 1960, Johnson C. Smith University. Between the first one that he gave and the last one he gave in 1960, he talked at Knoxville College. Shout out to Knoxville College. I was kind of keeping my eye on Knoxville College. Somebody asked me about it. The brother who's the president now, they're really tapping into reviving. Knoxville College never closed its doors, but they're, I mean, they're really reviving Knoxville College. A beautiful thing. Uh, he spoke at Lincoln University in Missouri. Um, he gave a talk on the um, future to Negro State University. Very important work. But the first talk he gave, talked at Howard in 1935 several times. The first talk he gave was to a group of educators gathered in the summer for a conference that was held in 1906 at Howard at Hampton University. People get mad, Howard and Hampton. They'd be like, what's the real HU? I said, the real HU is Harvard. Because they don't have to say it. Anyway, that's the social structure. In the governance structure, you know, we don't give no dice to, to, to that. But even the idea, I mean, it's all fun and games till it's not. And I just laugh because I don't have a dog in that fight because y'all know how I am. I think all the HBCUs are just one big HBCU with a lot of different locations, but I don't get nobody mad at me. Or not. You can think about it. Think about it. But then the big HBCU now is, of course, where we are, the community, which is what it should have always been. Aaron stood up and quoted from memory. Well, quite from memory, I almost wanted, I almost teared up sitting there in the Crampton Auditorium. In an auditorium when we would have seven or eight or 900 students per class for 50 minutes, one class on Tuesday nights, one class on Wednesday afternoon, seven, eight, 900 students apiece in there reading the same book, doing our research projects. And then, you know, different leadership decided they wanted to go in another direction and say, okay, well, as long as you're going in a direction, don't look like you're going in a direction. No, you just didn't like, you didn't like the direction we were going in. So you, what you were, anyway, hey, freed me up. As I said, jailbreak the black university. But when this young man stood up on Thursday night and talked about, he said, we have to have these intergenerational conversations. We have to link. Voting is an important tool. It's not the only tool. He said, but with these intergenerational conversations, we understand our power. He said, Dr. Du Bois. No, he didn't say Du Bois. I, I said Du Bois after this because he quoted him. He said, we read this book in freshman seminar. I was like, he was sitting behind me like, oh, he remember that. No notes, he said. In the book, they talk about the great lack. And then the great fear. He said, the great fear is that we'll consolidate our energy. And that's what people are scared of in this country. Go ahead, son. I see what you're doing. And so afterwards, we were back and forth. And then Roland, Roland and Julianne were, were moderating. So Roland asked me, I said, what do we do next? I said, I want to mention something that Brother Aaron said. I said, and I appreciate you quoting that, brother, because, you know, he took that class from us because Howard is a neoliberal university, like all HBCUs, with new, to varying degrees of neoliberal leadership. And that isn't, uh, that isn't a, anything personal because it's the nature of the universities, period. All universities, this is the thing universities fight against because when you're giving out money, and Du Bois is critical about this in this book, when you're giving out money, when you're you wanna shape the curriculum and instruction and the, the future of these students toward what you want them to be in the economy. And if black people want to do something different, they feel like they gotta make concessions to look close enough to what you do to make it look like y'all want the same thing. You don't want the same thing. Du Bois was screaming from the rooftops for 60 years about that. Then finally he was like, deuces, where you going? Me and my wife going to Africa. Chin up and fight on American Negroes can't win. But you must continue to fight. But please understand that unless you connect everybody globally and work toward this, and unless you don't sacrifice your principles, you're gonna have a problem. So when Aaron stood up and said, you know, 
the great lack that Du Bois is talking about in this speech he gives at Hampton is the lack of energy. But he don't mean we don't have energy as African people. What he says is the lack is the lack of understanding how to wield and, and put that energy together and where to direct it. A lot of conversation over the last month or two about, am I going to vote? Am I not going to vote? I don't know. You know nothing changed. Well, okay, you got energy. What you going to do with it? That's the lack. The great fear. And Aaron, he described it beautifully. He said, the great fear is not from us. The fear is from the society that when we do finally figure out how to do it, it's going to change everything. And then he quoted the following lines, word for word, which let me know not only did he read it, it stayed with him two or three years later. And guess what? That just put some, I mean, that put a lot of steel in my spine. Because what we're doing here, we're freed up from any of these foolish, petty stuff. We are building here. And it will influence everywhere else, as we see with Adams and Key at Claflin. And who knows? Maybe one day these other places will come along, but whether they never come along. The train and left the station. Aaron quoted the following. He said, and thus today, the great fear is speaking among men. Du Bois is used in the 19th century, so we know. He's saying men. I'm going to say people. And to us today, the great fear is speaking among people. It is voicing itself more or less articulately. That's that dog outside. I'm going to go out there and get that dog in a minute and talk to the dog and dog speak. But anyway, it is voicing itself most, more or less articulately against all the darker races, but more particularly against those of Negro descent. It says in the saner moments, these Negroes, they are, humanly speaking, brothers, sisters, they are humanly speaking. I mean, they are kind of human. They have some rights and deserve some opportunities. But this is where the thing gets hit. These are people scared of black people. Said, but deal carefully with them. Put their rights in the background. Emphasize their duties. Say little of ambition or aspiration. And above all, watch and ward against the first appearance of arrogance or self-assertion or consciousness of great power. Take the eyes of these millions off the stars and fasten them in the soil. And if they're young men, if they're young women, if they're young people will dream dreams, let them be dreams of cornbread and molasses. That describes for all the rhetoric. We want you to be the best you can be. We want you to achieve. That's a lie. We're looking at the school district budget. We're looking at what you do and don't pay teachers. There have been ballot referendums to give teachers raises to improve public education. There were almost 20 state school superintendent races on Tuesday. The White Nationalist Party almost consistently, number one issue for them, the number one issue for the white nationalist party was vouchers to take that public money and give it to private institutions. And they lure black people along and say, see, don't you want your child to get a better education? Yeah, but the number one uh, issue on the state superintendents who were Democrats was more funding for public schools, better buildings, better increases in pay for teachers and staff, increased uh, facilities and services for the students, whether it be mental health, all this kind of thing. I mean, you can see the contrast. Two parties are the same, two parties not the same. And if you elect somebody and do what you do, you ain't got to wait to put them out. You organize and force whoever's in there. So just because you didn't get who you want don't mean that you quit. 
In fact, that's the time to fight harder to organize. The great lack is that kind of marshalling that energy. The great fear is when you do. And we saw that fear expressed. They ran against that fear on Tuesday. And we beat that fear back that we fed it to them in enough places to buy a little space. And as you say, Prof, now we got to move forward. Well, listen to that, brother. I was so moved because what we are fighting for is not the soul of America. We're not fighting to save America or rescue democracy. Even if you hear people say that, that ain't what they really saying. That's a, that's a social structure conversation. What you say in public. What you're fighting is keep these people out your business, self-defense, so you don't get shot by the police, so that the judge don't send no warrant out to kill you in your bed. So you got to switch that judge out. And young Dan Cameron, young Dan. Oh, Danny boy. Oh, Danny boy. <laughs> oh, it was one of them songs that they recorded at Sigma Studios, Joe Teresa. Ain't no stopping us now. We're on the move. <laughs> Danny Dan. You might have to get out your own bed where you ain't got to worry about being murdered, sleeping next to your wife. And you're going to see that you can't reach into that chambers and, and, and tell this new judge. You can't tell Judge Davis what to do, young Dan. And we coming for you next because ain't no stopping us now, brother. Um, now, we know that they're going to be some distractions between now and Jan uh, Jan now in December in Georgia. And Herschel Walker going to say something stupid. He already said something stupid this morning, I'm sure. And it don't matter because another song they recorded at Sigma Studios is at for the moment. We think about all the foods they're going to throw up to confuse black people. So let the side show begin. Hurry, hurry. Step right on in. Yeah, yeah. Blue Magic. Gambling Huff with Joe Teresa at the board. Sigma Studios. We ain't going for the side show because ain't no stopping us now. Now, this ain't a hype up to get out to vote. No, what we're talking about something very different. What we're talking about is independent black politics to make a different set of assumptions and put up a different set of assumptions and execute based on our interests, which is why as Steve Phillips is writing about, we're thinking about this not as saving the soul of democracy because it ain't never had no soul saving the soul of America. America ain't got no soul. The only identity that's held this country together is white nationalism. Everybody else here has been trying to survive white nationalism and carve out a little space to operate, which brings me to somebody I want to kind of use to, 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 to help us move through to the end today for a few minutes. Now, we know it's the so-called Veterans Day weekend in the United States. So everybody who has been conscripted into the military, women and men who went because you didn't have many options, Westmore veteran, combat veteran. My daddy was a veteran. You know, and his brothers were veterans and my uncles, my mother's brothers were veterans, but they ain't go because they wanted to or they felt desperate because of the economic condition and felt like that was their only choice. These farm boys, they were drafted. They, these were World War II veterans, Korea War veterans, you know, my older cousins, Vietnam. You, know, you, you killed a whole lot of black people. We'll see black men. Y'all out here invading these countries doing that, you know. Joe Biden, you over there now talking to these Asian countries and Vietnam sitting at the table. Yeah, y'all thought y'all was going to pick up a cheap bargain after they put the French out, huh? News for you. You weren't, but you didn't go. My cousins went. Some of them came back so badly messed up, they spent the rest of their lives jacked up on this Veterans Day weekend. 
We are veterans of your war against us. Who is y'all? White supremacy, settler colonialism, all of it. Your war against us. And who is us? Everybody you tried to kill and who's still here. I want y'all to spend some time on election day. There was a, no, on Wednesday, the day after the election in the United States, there was a case heard by the United States Supreme Court. Bracking. I'm sorry. Holland versus Bracken. You know, Deb Holland is the first indigenous person to be Secretary of the Interior in the United States. She was a former congresswoman. The Brackeens are white evangelical, rich white evangelical, rich white Texan evangelical Christian couple. It snatched two Navajo Nation babies. The boy then his sister as a little girl. And they never had, they had the boy as foster care, they foster parents, but they never had a little girl as a foster family. They went and tracked down the, 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 the mother and said that, you know, got her to sign saying that she gave her consent for them to, to take her son. But she also wanted her children to stay with their people, Navajo people. And you know, there's a federal law that it not only allows that, but requires that. It's called the Indian Child Welfare Act, ICWA. They argued the case, Brackeen, uh, Holland versus Brackeen, on Wednesday before the Supreme Court. Kataji Brown Jackson. Alana Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor, man, they was giving them hell. The first voice to speak in the orals. I'm sitting there listening to it because I had class later in that evening. And, you know, we're going to talk about the Indian Child Welfare Act that night because we we did the chapter in, in the Derek Bell's casebook and then the ancillary materials we have. And I had them look at developments in the law since the last edition of the book around interracial intimate relationships. So, you know, Loving versus Virginia and all that stuff. That's kind of, you know, that's the one uh, area that when they overturned Roe versus Wade, Clarence Thomas didn't mention, and people talk about that. But as Angie Porter and them would tell you, um, as um, any lawyer would tell you, or a legal scholar would tell you, um, it wouldn't be because he didn't he didn't not mention it because he's married to a white woman. Loving versus Jenny was decided by the Fourteenth Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment, not under the right to privacy idea that this Supreme Court is against. Now. In this case, these two white people, rich white evangelical Christians, taking these Navajo children. And one of the arguments they make is we got more money than when they wanted the little girl, they went to court, family court now. They in family court, not just with themselves and their money, they got this criminal indicted state uh, uh, district, I'm sorry, district attorney, state's attorney in Texas, attorney general of Texas, Paxton, Kenneth Paxton. Paxton, who was reelected on uh, Tuesday. And by the way, you know, a lot of people sharing on social media and you see in the news, you know, Aya Nelly was one who shared it among many others. They stopped counting votes in, in Harris County. Bruh, you shovel mouth. Governor Abbott, you can't stop the rain. You can't stop the rain. Let the side show begin. Another, another song recorded Sigma Studios in Philadelphia. Chuck Brown, The Soul Searches. I feel like busting loose. <laughs> give me the bridge now. Give me the bridge now. You stole it on Tuesday, but that's okay. Because we not like the white nationalist party. See, we've been here a long time. And like Frank Smith's brother told him, we know we deal with these white people down here. You handle your business where you are. The United States of America not going to be here long. 
It might take 100 years, it might take 50 years, it might take 20 years, but they're going to wreck it, and they're not going to wreck it just at the federal level. They think states' rights is a good thing until you start using them. As old folks used to say in the South, ain't no fun when the rabbit got the gun. The rabbit got the gun in Michigan. The rabbit got the gun in Pennsylvania and California. The rabbit got the gun in the Mizzou, at least when it comes to legalizing weed, and the rabbit got the gun in Maryland. Ain't no fun. When the rabbit got the gun. Y'all, long game is to control the federal legislature. That was staved off on Tuesday a little bit, but just give us a little room to operate. Not to say rah-rah Democrats or we going to Republicans, but that independent third-party politics that Mo Mitchell and them are talking about is about organizing our collective interests and then intervening wherever we need to intervene to make that happen. That's a very important principle, and we should not lose track of that. So this attorney general in Texas, an indicted attorney general whose friends, buddies at the local level won't bring him into court, is standing up there. He got a representative standing up next to the Brackeens as they try to pull off a 21st century version of what they've been doing since they came here, which is what? We're going to kill the Indians. Either we're going to kill them all physically, or we're going to kill their culture. The boarding school making them cut their hair, don't lose their language. You're going to snatch these babies out of the Navajo Nation. When the Indian Child Welfare Act says that if a child is put up for adoption in among the Indian nations, you should look for somebody else, either a close relative or extended family or a member of their, I say nation, they would say tribe in the legislation, tribes. And failing that, another tribe. Now watch this. This is where it gets disgustingly simple. Listen to the oral arguments in Holland versus Brackeen on Wednesday. Lawyer for this white Texas Christian evangelical Christian nationalist, because these ain't Christians when my mama Christian. My mom's saying about Jesus, she talking about the Jesus of the disinherited. These people talking about Jesus, they talking about the colonizer Jesus. Stood up, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, and then gave the open argument, say I'm available for questions. The first voice to come from the bench, because he's the senior justice, Clarence Thomas. Counsel, ah, uh, he started asking about policies of adoption. Who jumps in after that? Was it Katanji? I'm sorry, was it Justice Katanji on Yika Brown Jackson? Oh, Sonia Sotomayor. I love Sonia Sotomayor. <laughs> this thing I love about African people. Katanji Onyeka Brown Jackson, they say the first black woman to appoint, appointed to the Supreme Court. I don't think through a governance, I don't think through a social structure lens. There was a woman with some African descent on the bench before Katanji, and that was Sonia Sotomayor, just because her people spoke Spanish and she came from the Spanish Caribbean to New York, her family. And she would be considered white in New York or his, white Hispanic in New York or white Hispanic probably in Puerto Rico or white Hispanic in Florida where a lot of those white Latinos voted uh, blood, called blood, and somehow blood always answered uh, in Florida for little Marco and them. But still, the echo of Africa is in her cultural meaning making and way of knowing. You can hear the irritation. Counselor, is this, uh, is this policy issue before this court? Are you arguing that policy issue? Well, 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 Justice Sotomayor, I, uh, I think that it is inferred. Uh, counselor, did you brief and state a claim on that policy issue? Uh, well, uh, sorry, it's a yes and no answer. 
she talking to Clarence. But she using them. That's what they do. You know, when they ask him questions, they really talking to each other. Neil Gorsuch, who considers himself a champion of the Native American, is asking about the Indian Child Welfare Act. And his questions, and many of the questions in the oral arguments, are revolve around this issue. When the settler colonies that became the United States of America declared their ongoing war to this day, as Deontay Wilder, Alabama might say, to this day with the Aboriginal people, they consider each nation a separate nation. There's a sovereignty issue here. And so the questions then became, I thought the United States of America has what they call in, 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 in the Constitution or in the treaties they signed in the Constitution that enables it, plenary power all power when it comes to dealing with the indigenous people. Now, what is mentioned is commerce, to trade with the Indians, but it's way bigger than commerce. In fact, Amy Comey Barrett asked the question and said, you're asking us to overturn all this law, not just commerce, but all the law governing relation with the Indians? Well, no, your honor. Yes, your honor, that's what you want. That's what y'all talk about in the federal society meetings. Then y'all come out here with this cosplay for the rest of us, because what's at issue here isn't just adoption, is sovereignty and revolving around the attack on Indian sovereignty, the indigenous people in this Veterans Day weekend, all the indigenous people in this uh, hemisphere are veterans of the war against the people who attacked them. And all the African people are veterans of the war to stay alive and escape from these people and build some common cause for a different society. And some of the people who have been marked white, or as James Baldwin would say, who think they are white, are trying to trade their whiteness in for humanity that will able to build a better society. And many of the white people who are holding on to whiteness for their whole life because they think somehow that's making them better than everybody and giving them some, uh, some, some identity in the world out of fear or hatred or some commingling of all of it and propagandizing over and over again, they fighting all that. We all veterans of a war. We're not in uniform. I'm sorry. Yeah, actually, I was born with this uniform. Yeah. Yeah. It's my uniform. I came out of my mama's womb. She had her uniform on. I came out. My... Anyway, the point is that the questions in this oral argument are really about sovereignty. And here's the trick. Angie Boyd was explaining this the other day. She, Valethea Watkins, myself, we did, a issue, we did an episode of the Black Table on this to walk people through the legal elements of it. At the end of the day, what they're, going, what they're arguing, what they argued uh, this Wednesday and what's going to come out in these briefs if they overturn the Indian Child Welfare Act, which means you now have set loose a monster, a raging monster. What they're arguing is that the Indians should be treated as a race. The Indians not racial in the legal construct, the way we use race. Black people are race. Why? Because we was kidnapped and brought here under that label. But the indigenous people, the Cherokee, the Chickasaw, the, uh, you know, everybody, the Comanches, the Lakota, the Utes, these people are nations, separate nations, each of which has a unique relationship with the United States under the plenary, plenary power. And then when I heard Sam Lolito, the chef's kiss racist, sitting there, in his smugness, I like his smug. I mean, Alito was, I mean, uh, uh, Scalia was smug. But I like Alito's smugness better because it's more of a brute kind of Philly racism. Wow. Here come Alito asking about the race question. But he's so offensive. At one point he says, 
well, of course, before the Europeans came, uh, these tribes were you know, fighting each other. Did you just make a civilizationist argument? Did, in other words, it's like them people that say, look, they came and got y'all out of Africa where y'all was eating each other up. The best thing ever happened to you, you came here. We gave you Jesus, we gave you the flag, and look at you now. YOLO, you know? Look at you, living your best life. Aren't you glad? Started from the bottom, now we here. He made, he said, them Indians was fighting each other before we came. Excuse me, sir, your ass wasn't here. You just got here yesterday. Your people came from Italy, Sam. We was all here. Who are you? We the Africans you drug into this mess. And our cousins, wait, them the indigenous, and they're your cousins too, but you acting like you ain't part of the human family, right? Whiteness gets you out of the human family, right? Them indigenous people, they the home team. And you came here, and then they, and then Alito starts talking about the relationship with the conquered nations, the conquered tribes. Oh, man, you sounding like, uh, you sounding like uh, John Roberts' man who he replaced on the Supreme Court, Rehnquist, the Hitty Tom case. A light talk, when he starts talking about the Indians, that's when you see the racism come out because the objective is to wipe them out. If you can't wipe them out physically, wipe out their minds. So you send them white Christian nationalists in there to take the babies and this Indian Child Welfare Act from 1978 is in your way. If you can smash that, now you're gonna go after other elements of sovereignty because you wanna convert them from nations to races. And that's the trick they're pulling. And it happened the day after the election in this country. So we find ourselves asking ourselves to return to where, where I mentioned this. Are we trying to save the soul of America? America ain't got no soul. Are we trying to save democracy? We ain't trying to save democracy. We're trying to build a different project. This is what Steve Phillips writing about. We're trying to build a different project. Now, of course, you get a publisher and it tend to be nice and not to scare people. You're going to frame it in democracy. Democracy ain't never existed in the West. Okay, no problem. I understand why y'all got to do that. I ain't got to do that. I worked a long time not to have to do that. Study too hard, listen to too many people, been in too many movements to do that. So today on Veterans Day weekend, thinking about what we are veterans of, what we have survived to bought out some more time to continue in this project of remaking this whole structure, not just in the United States, but in the world, turning into and embracing that challenge as the only way to live in a world where, as you said, Prof, the only constant is change. And that we can take momentary pauses to imagine a world that never has existed, but drawn from some of our momentum of memory, like go to see what kind of forever or sit and you know enjoy it, and then return to that work of making a different world based on the momentum of remembering when we had different points of departure, which is why in our class on Monday night, we're going to continue on social structure. And then the following Monday, a week from this Monday, we will then revisit Walter Rodney and go into the second of the six conceptual categories, governance, who we are to each other, cannot wait for that but we figured we spent another monday on social structure we have that flexibility and, and the, the reading for that um of course is the what black studies is not piece that i wrote but we're going to continue the conversation we were having on um on monday night and and shout out to everybody who came in our sister from milwaukee um to my my former student uh olivia who was out in vegas on the ground in nevada shout out Liv. i know you got to be tired because y'all fought with both fists. It looks like he pulled it out in Vegas. You pulled it out in Nevada. Maybe not the governorship, not the state house, but certainly the Senate. And that's going to mean something in the lives of people who will swear voting doesn't matter. But when they see it in their lives, they might not make the connection. That's our job. Everybody played a position, as Frank Smith's brother told him. But I want to end today with a veteran of the United States military. 
except it wasn't no United States military when he came along. And this brother was a veteran who um, was made a sergeant posthumously in the United States military by Slick Willie, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton made York a veteran of the United States military. Who is York? We, I think a lot of people know York. I've talked about York before, and I couldn't pull the books that I would want to pull because I've been moving stuff around. I think I took a bunch of them to storage, and there may have been one. Probably a couple of good books. If you can get your hands on uh, Robert Betts' book, In Search of York. York was the African, the enslaved African, who was enslaved by William Clark, who, of course, with his army buddy, Meriwether Lewis, was part of that uh, explorer's crew that Thomas Jefferson sent from... Uh, St. Louis from the Lou out to Oregon to the Pacific Ocean. The so-called Louisiana Purchase Expedition after the Haitians beat Napoleon's ass. In fact, there's a great book called The Napoleonic Wars. I just started reading it. I don't know when I'm going to find time, but it's you know, anyway, Haiti, of course, is why we have that middle part of the United States to call United States. It is the principal reason as far as I'm concerned, but I want to see what this, what this scholar is saying because, you know, I'm always trying to, you know, I'm always down to be corrected but i think for me as an african i'm thinking about haiti and by the way we keep haiti in our minds the fuel port has been unblocked our our sister continues to fight that fight among so many others um in the um um i'm thinking about um ah mm -hmm. uh, mama pierre um out there on the west coast professor pierre who's herself haitian writing about this all this propaganda you see about haiti and the commercial white entertainment news press you can ignore that we have to talk with each other but at any rate york uh robert betts book in search of york is good uh, hassan davis did a children's book there have been several children's books on york in fact the only one i could put my hands on uh uh over the uh, last 24 hours is this book which is okay lawrence pringle's book american slave american hero i hate that title you got him all happy he looking happy you always looking pleasant and stuff but my man frank walker that's where we gonna end for today i'm gonna spend a few minutes with this because on veterans day i want us to think and sit with movement and memory and cultural meaning making frank x walker this is a picture of him he's a little younger he and his uh wife my former colleague at howard uh sister shauna is um is shauna curlew shauna morgan curlew um our own faculty university of kentucky uh, he was also the poet laureate one time of Kentucky and a founding member of something called the Afrolation Poets. The Afrolation Poets are African people from the Appalachians. Now, I was born, I came out of my mother's womb in Tennessee. I don't think I was conceived in Tennessee. I'm not quite sure because that would have been July 1964 and they was back and forth between Alabama and Tennessee. I like to think I was conceived in Alabama because my mama was born there and I claim Alabama. Like I claim Philly and Tennessee. I claim being African so the world is ours. Again, these borders don't mean nothing. But York is a figure that Frank, brilliant brother, master poet, scholar, community servant, Frank Walker got fascinated with York. This is his book of poems, Buffalo Dance, The Journey of York, poems by Frank X. Walker. This is a statue of York. There are many statues of York. There's one out in Oregon on the campus of Lewis and Clark uh, University. And I've only been to Portland one time. 
and I snuck away from the conference to do two things. One, go to the bookstore, Powell's Bookstore of Portland, not to be confused with Powell's Bookstore of Chicago, and spend all my money. And also to go to the campus of Lewis and Clark so I could see that statue of York by the great African artist Allison Saar, S-A-A-R. Ed Hamilton, who hipped, he did this one. Ed Hamilton is one of the brothers who introduced the story of York to Frank Walker. York was born in Virginia, probably the 1790s. His parents are identified as Old York and Rose, uh, an elder, Old York. Rose. Not much, not anything else is known through the records of his parents like that. He was born into the family, the father of the father of William Clark, of Lewis and Clark fame. <laughs> Had him enslaved and he was given to Clark as a little boy. They grew up together. And when Clark moved from Virginia to Kentucky, York went with him. York married a woman, and we don't know her name. We don't know whether they had children. But then Clark gets the call, Meriwether Lewis, they get the call from Thomas Jefferson. We got this land. We want you to map it out. And so we know the story, right? We know the story as they made their way from St. Louis all the way to the West Coast. York never, you know, his life was never the same. They go out there, they come back. Everybody gets paid, except York don't get nothing. He's enslaved. York wants to be freed. Man won't free him. Well, can I go see my wife in, in, in Louisville? Yeah, you can go, but come back. Then Clark tells his brother, look, if he get out of line, he act like he want to stay there going to sell his ass to new, in New Orleans. He comes back. York does after several months. He's only supposed to be out there a few weeks, but he stays several months. And then Clark is like, man, you ain't no good. I can't do this. He rents him out. He tries to start his own business, but he's still enslaved. He never sees his wife again. Sigma Studios. Are we in love? Oh, just friends, is this my beginning or is this the end? When will I see you again? You hear, those, hear, that, hear that brass come in in them strings? <laughs> yes, Lord, the three degrees. What was York's wife thinking in Louisville when she didn't see him? He didn't come back. He didn't write. You know, where is York? Phyllis Hyman, Sigma Studios. I can't stand this living all alone. Feels good to have somebody hold you tight. You know, Phyllis Hyman's from Philly. All of the music that came out of Sigma Studios. Somebody need to make a York documentary. What's his wife's name? Did they have any children? Never saw each other again. F William Clark forever. Let my ass get become an ancestor and come on outside. See you walking around. Well, I ain't got to worry about that. I, I, that's residual. I'm, I'm feeling that because I feel like York would have been my brother, and I think we all would feel that. But York can already handle that, so we don't even need to 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 to, to get 
rid of that. So, you know, it's okay. But you can imagine making a movie with all of that going on. You imagine York and his wife the night before he comes back to St. Louis from Louisville. I'll be back. One of my favorite songs recorded at Sigma Studios with that trio, with those engineers, with those writers, with Tom Bell, Harold Melvin, and the Blue Notes. When I away from you, boy, all I seem to do is cry. And when I think about you, boy, Mm-mm-mm-mm. We'd be together all the time, all the while, day and night. Mm-mm. I hope that we can be together soon, said Linda Creed. Then the brother comes in. When, wonky, when, there it is. I think about you, girl. Chills run up and down my spine. And if my wish could come true, girl, you want to put some music under a story that's not period music? Put that. Put York and his wife together. We'd be together all the time. Let it be playing low while they talk to each other by the candlelight, by the firelight in the little cabin before he got to go. All the while, day and night, I'm going to miss you. All my lonely heart seems to do. And them strains come in. Ba-ba. I hope that we. No, she comes back in, Linda Creed. I hope that we. Then he comes back in. Maybe tomorrow can be together soon. I hope that we can be together soon. You can see him, man. He got leave. Hope that we can be together soon. Make it real soon. Then, then coming in, coming in like Louis Armstrong right off the microphone with the horn behind King Oliver. Here come Teddy Pendergrass. I can't wait. I can't wait. And then you see the emergence of Teddy Pendergrass on that album. I hope that we can be together. Oh, man. Yeah, Teddy Pendergrass thing. I think York would have made it back to Louisville. I, I think he would have made it back to Louisville. But remember, Sigma Studios is also where Teddy Pendergrass recorded turn out the <laughs> and write light a candle <laughs> yeah yeah anyway Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. teddy pentagrass my goodness come on and go with me <laughs> that's pentagrass at sigma studios come on over to my place anyway york never sees his wife again frank walker sitting with the scant information on me Frank Walker writes a series of poems. He reconstructs the story of York. I'm just going to read a couple of them as we end today. Because they don't know what happened to York. Clark told the writer Washington Irving in like 1832, something like that. Oh, yeah, he left. And then he went to Tennessee, got cholera and died. But then there are accounts of York being in Wyoming, an old man who said, I came out here with Lewis and Clark. Yeah, MF, 
So we don't know. We don't know. And nobody knows. Let me read a couple of Frank's poems here. My man, Frank Walker. Here's the first one. It's called Wind Talker. Remember, in this, well, in this poem, they've reached Oregon. He's looking at the Pacific Ocean. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to let Frank do this. Frank writes, go, let me, one more thing about the process. Movement and memory. The reason we have the movement and memory category in our Africana Studies uh, framework is because we ask the question, how did or do African people remember these experiences? Our narratives around what happened Tuesday in the United States of America in terms of this federal election going to be very different than anything you see on TV. We don't give a damn about none of y'all. We're trying to engage in self-defense and harm reduction. That's what Tamika Mallory would tell you or Linda Sarsour. And me too, a lot of us, saving the soul. Our cultural meaning makers, another category, Frank Walker is a, is a, is a first-class cultural meaning maker. His, his wife, Shauna Morgan Curley, is a first-class cultural meaning maker. They draw on the memory of our people. So they're not just writing and singing and doing work in this moment. Like Rihanna and them have put this soundtrack together for one kind of forever. They're drawing from the memory of African people. And then in the case of Rihanna and them, they're projecting it forward. In the case of Frank Walker in this book right here, he's 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 now he said, I would read, I would study, I would listen, I would sit with everything known about York, and I would go to bed and just dream. And little by little, York seeped into my consciousness. So what you're hearing now is Frank in the in the spirit of York. This is a way of knowing as well. We're sitting with our ancestors. Frank writes this, Wind Talker, the first poem. This is your talking. If I could make my words dress they naked cells in blackberry juice, lay down on a piece of bark, sheep or onion skin, like Macedo. If I could send a letter home to my wife, floated in the wind on wings or water. I tell about Katanka and all the wide and high places this side of the big river. How his family, numbering three for every star in the sky, looked like a forest when they grazed together, turn into the muddy Missouri when they thunder along faster than any horse making the grass lay down long after the quiet had returned. How they don't do so much as raise a tail when I come round with my woolly head and tobacco skin like I'm one of them. Making the Arakara and Mandan think me big medicine. Katanka, who walked like man. Today, we stood on the edge of all this. Looked out at so much water the mountains we crossed to get here seemed a little smaller. As I watch fish the size of cabins dance in the air and splash back in the water like cheering playing, I think about her and if we gonna ever be free. Then I close my eyes and pray that I don't live long enough to see Massa make this ugly too. Frank Walker is a beast. I'm gonna read a couple more and then we'll be done. Page 34. See, everywhere York went, because y'all know we talk about Sacagawea and the white boy that had her hostage, her husband. Yeah, okay. And the French dude. We talk about Lewis and Clark. York might get mentioned, but 
they're traveling. He's got poems in here where him and Sakajui are getting together in terms of how they resist this thing and how they have a different conversation than they're having. Let me go to page uh, 34. Let me see. 34? No, 31? Let me see. Where's Promises? That's the one I want. I got to see because I can't hardly see now. Uh, promises, Promises, Promises. Because this is where he's talking about what this man said. Anyway, I'm, I'm not going to set it up. Because everywhere he went, the Native Americans had a lot of respect for York. Here we go. Here we go. Promises, page 35. They respected York. They called him Big Medicine. In fact, one time they stopped, the indigenous cat was like, and tried to rub his face. He didn't come out. He said, they black. And, and see, Clark writes this in his journals. He said, they black in their faces when they're hunting for certain. This guy whole body black. You see, he, he said, this guy's big medicine. We've never seen a human being like that. He was he was kind of revered. Not these white men. Anyway, I'm going to read that poem too, just for here. Here it is, Promises. Because the Nez Pierce really loved York. But anyway, this is, this is Frank writing in York's voice. Many tribes speak their peace by taking, I'm sorry, start again. Many tribes speak their peace by talking with their hands and faces. When we sit in the circle to talk with Sacagawea's brother, the chief, she take his words in Shoshone and measure them out in Hadatsa. Charbono hands it to Libiche in French. Libiche talks to the captains in English. Then they talk between themselves and sends it back and forth down the line and so on and so forth. The words seem to be on their own expedition, but it's hard to believe the truth can be traded on that many tongues and still taste like itself. That's how I felt listening to Sam Alito with that bullshit he was pulling in the hollow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A uh, couple of other ones let's do right now. Uh, let's go page 50. Sad eye. Woo! He says, lying here under this big sky river singing softly in the distance put me in mind of old York stories by the Gambia and his daddy from Africa. He don't fret none on it. He don't fret none on it. But it must have been a terrible thing to from your own mama's knees and herd it off to be sold like cattle. I figures none of the weak survived being made to ride in the bottom of a boat across the African sea surrounded by death and shackled in piles of their own filth. He say, I'm lucky to be born in Virginia to walk on the same dirt as my mama. I suspect he right, but then I think the sad eye he get when he look up at the heavens at night, put him in mind when he used to be free. Sometimes <laughs> late, he stand in the field, close his eye and reach up and smile like he can almost touch it. I reckon freedom in Africa be like having a whole sky to yourself. So I won't. I won't go. There's a, there's a few more. I would. I would. I would probably read if we if we were on clock. But I'm gonna try to keep it in a couple of hours. We right at it now. So I'll I'll, I'll end with this one. Let me see. Um. Yeah, revisionist history. Let me do the revisionist history because Frank says, "Wait, here we go." Revisionist history. This is the last one we'll do. He says, "When we set foot." Back in old St. Louis, there was much celebration and put known as everyone had give us up for dead. 
We paraded through the streets buying our guns and made a home in the nearest tavern. No one seemed to tire of hearing us tell our stories night after night. After too many cups and tellers, there came tales, a herd of grizzlies talking, big talking fish, and Indian women 10 foot tall. The truth seemed to stretch so that by and by, I seemed to disappear from their tongue as if I had never even been there, as if my blackness never saved their hide. Hmm. Them twisted tails and leave out my parts in it so much so that directly I become Massa Clark's boy. Again, just along the cook and carry. That's a lie. Go read the story of York. If it weren't for York, they wouldn't have had no damn expedition. But York has disappeared. But my man Frank got him back. Buffalo dance. Get those <laughs> on Veterans Day. And then Bill Clinton made him a damn honorary sergeant in 2001. Like that's some kind of heroic thing. Anyway. <laughs> so, Please hold the book up again. Yes. Buffalo dance. The journey of York. Frank mm -hmm. X. Walker. Poems by Frank X. Walker. In fact, uh, Frank says that York was the first affirmation. Because, of course, he was from Virginia and then went to Kentucky. And uh, just a beautiful, beautiful. In fact, they called him, uh, uh, the Lakota called him Wassasum Sapa, the black Indian. They ain't had no name for white boys. Oh, wait. No, I'm sorry. I know we got to go. But this, this oh, I got to do the one about noses. Let me see if I can find it. If, uh, uh, oh, man. Hold on. Let me. Oh, wait. Sad Eye. It might be Sad Hold on. Let me see if it's Sad Eye. Uh, no, no, no. Sad Eye did read. Oh, wait. It might be on page 30. Yo, let me do this one because this is the one where he talks about the relationship with the Indians. Um, no, let me see. I had it written down and I don't think I. Wait, here we go. No. Oh, I ain't going to be able to find it because I'll read them and then I sit down and think about them because you got to sit with them. He talks about going to see the medicine woman and let me see. Oh, here we go. Yeah, nomenclature. Nomenclature. Here it is. Look, this is a good one to stop on. This is where York, this is where Frank Walker says. Because they, they every time he stops somewhere with the Native Americans, there's there's a story that is told in the journals about how he want he go, go into one group. He's he's keeping them alive. He's hunting, he's doing it, he's learning words and the languages of the Native Americans. One of the elders in the Native American crews got all these uh wives. He says, I want you to come make love to my wife, and I'm gonna stand outside on guard while you do it. What? He got a poem in here about that too. It's good. Because I want, you know, big medicine. They love him. This is what he writes. He says, all my life I've been told that my big nose and woolly hair was ugly, beastly things. And the closer to black a person is, the more mule he be. So they be none more mule than me. In the Indian world, my blackness is a thing to be worshipped. My nose a sign of power. Captain Clark calls these beautiful and kind people ignorant savages. But it don't take an educated man to guess what they think is thin nose and pale face. Anyway, so yeah, no question. <laughs> Except Wakanda not real. Bjork is real. Six foot, 200 pounds. Statues of him all over. If y'all near a statue of York, go see them statues in Louisville. Go see them in Portland. Go see them in D.C. Y'all go check York out on Veterans Day weekend. You get a chance. Tell that brother. It's all right, brother. We know you and your wife and children are back together. Man, I'm not big on poetry. You know, it's the one thing that yeah. I could never, you know, because it, it's it's whimsy. It's it's 
perspective. It's, it's uh, intangible, you know, and I don't like to sit to try to figure out what somebody else is thinking. You know, I'm a very literal person, uh, but you really made me appreciate poetry today in a way that I didn't imagine that I would. Now I want to get this book. I don't e really even own outside. I think I have a Nikki Giovanni. Yeah. Book. Uh, I only have like maybe two poetry books among all of the oh. thousands of books that I have. And so thank you. Oh, no, thank you. It'd be good to talk to us. Nikki Giovanni, Appalachian. She went in Tennessee, Virginia, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, no, thank you. Now, thank you, Frank. Thank you, Frank, for bringing York to us. So, well, I love every, you. Yeah, I love you too. And everyone, uh, tomorrow we're uh, two o'clock Eastern. The Reed Daniel Favors and I and Dr. Carr. Hopefully, if you want, if you free, oh, yeah, yeah, we talk on Wakanda forever. Uh, yeah. I mean, I can see it sometime between now and two o'clock. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, while we while we celebrate the fantasy of what it looks like to to be um, excellent and awesome. Yes. Uh, let's let's live in the reality of it because yes. we are every day yes. manifesting. Yes. All right. Um, I love you so love you much, too. and everyone in Nubia, I love you yeah. too. And those of you who join us on on YouTube and still like, I don't know where to go or what. It's all right. It's all, all right. right. We, it's we're all gonna right. be here. We'll be scared of you. Uh, we got a world. Absolutely. We build them. We don't just dream a world. We build a world, and we got it. So it's all right. Facts. See you. See you in the Nubian streets, y'all. All right. See y'all tomorrow with in uh, with uh, Senyata, Doctor Senyata, tomorrow morning.